From the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Well, good morning. Bobby Curran is away. He's working on getting back. In the meantime, it's the Sports Animals on ESPN Honolulu. Uh, top stories today. University of Hawaii football practice begins today. The Timmy Chang era starts now. Which means it's exactly one month before the game against Vanderbilt. Closer and closer we get. All right. Uh, Live Golf, as we know, is expanding to 14 events next year. But they have increased the purse from $255 million to $405 million in purses. I wonder if they're doing that so they can afford Charles Barkley as an analyst. <laughs> uh, yesterday after uh, yesterday morning after we got off the air, the Hawaii, uh, Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic brackets came out. Yeah, something we had heard about, the rumors were true. Hawaii against Pepperdine in the first round, the last of four games on the first day. And I think there's going to be pretty good games, a lot of good teams that maybe aren't top 20, but NCAA tournament quality. So that's a good thing. Yeah, and NFL training camps continue, and uh, Jimmy G now healthy. Uh, he's not going to practice, of course, as the 49ers look for a trade. You know, we know that they're going to trade him, but by Kyle Shanahan uh, saying that yesterday, I just think it's like you're making your, you're getting less than trade value back, less trade leverage when you're already saying this guy's not playing for us again. You know, I think that they've been pretty out in the open since the beginning about this. You'll remember at the end of last season, Jimmy G, even back then, Jimmy G's like, well, that's probably it for me. They've been open about this the whole time. They haven't done anything because they wanted to wait till after the surgery to see that he was 100%. Now that he's 100%, they're looking for, you know, they're, they've uh, they've given him permission to, to seek a trade. So I think that's, I think they've always kind of been out in the open about this. I mean, it's no news that everyone's going, whoa, they're trading him. The only problem is they've waited so long. And I understand they're waiting, they needed him to be healthy. Either way, he's gone. By the first day of the season, when it starts, he's going to get guaranteed twenty-four million, whatever it is. That, that he's going to get that. So they're going to they're going to tr- either cut him and get nothing for him, or they're going to uh, trade him. But again, you know, like you said, is um, is the value less because they know that they want to get rid of him? You see, they have no leverage. Everyone knows that they got to get rid of him or cut him. So I doubt that you see anybody make any moves and just wait for him to be cut and then get him for $7 million, $10 million, whatever it is. I'm guessing somebody like the Panthers or I don't know if there's a Panthers. would be Seattle's the only team really being mentioned, right? Seattle right now. What about, you know, somebody as a backup? Houston's you know, heard, heard that. Right. Or Houston, yeah, Houston. 
or just uh, you, hey, you go back to the Patriots as a backup quarterback. <laughs> That's what I was thinking, actually, too. Okay, but, Chris, you look at Baker Mayfield. When, before he got traded to uh, Carolina, it wasn't where Cleveland said, we moved on, that said. They have a little bit of leverage by not saying anything. It doesn't help San Francisco by saying this, especially at this late, late date of July 26th yesterday when they make this announcement, because any team that might have had interest in giving up whatever it was going to take, a couple of second-rounders or whatever, now why do it at all? Because you know they have no other option i'll tell you why if if the if say carolina's like hey you know what i'm just throwing a, a name of a team out say kansas city i don't know if there's a team out there that has some interest in him then uh-oh somebody else is is interested now you gotta act if the new york jets want him in camp but the new york giants are starting to make moves well there you go right it's, it's just gonna be a competition do you think everybody's just going to wait on the side and go? I mean, because you're going to have to pay him 24 million, though. I believe if you trade for him, if you get him on right, waivers, you, you won't him. have to pay that much. So why would right, you? Tra- I know I already said that, but what I'm getting at is, if you want him, and you're going to wait till he gets uh, gets cut, well, somebody else might get him, or if somebody else is willing to trade to get him, the question is, is he worth? Is somebody going to pay 24 million dollars for him and trade for him? I mean, everybody has a starting quarterback right now, even though Seattle doesn't look that strong. Houston Davis Mills was okay last year, especially at the end. But as opposed to paying him $24 million or maybe taking that risk of waiting and maybe also maybe waiting because San Francisco might be asking for less in the upcoming days and weeks than they might have three, four months ago. The season's going to start yeah, in like are. five weeks. So. I- I was gonna, they're not they're not expecting a second a two second round draft choices yeah, or a second and third anymore. Not. At this point, you, they'll settle for a sixth. They really will. I mean, they're, they're not because they're not going to get anything. Right, unless yeah. more than one team wants them. Yeah, I mean, it could be. I mean, maybe maybe Houston does have some thoughts about bringing him in, especially if he doesn't cost that much. Seattle, you know, that San Francisco would probably, all things being equal, not want to trade him in their division. For a team that might be, well, they're not going to be fighting for a playoff spot with San Fran, but they could be a much improved team, Seattle, if you get a Jimmy G over a Drew Locke slash Geno Smith. I, I just don't understand how that helped the situation by coming out like that yesterday. It made them seem, I don't want to say desperate, but it made it seem like they don't really have any options, and there's no way they're keeping him. I know with Baker Mayfield it was kind of similar, even though very few people like myself said maybe he'll stay, but by announcing it publicly, it doesn't help them, and again, they'll get less in return. I still think that at some point, and I have no idea to know this because I'm not around the OTAs or anything, I think at some point they might regret this, getting rid of him before Trey Lance is ready to start a full season and bring them back to the NFC playoffs slash championship game. I mean, maybe he is as good as some people say. Last year he wasn't. I just wonder if they're going to regret it at some point. I think they might. Yeah. I mean, again, I, I'll, I'll say it again, and this is the general consensus out there. They're, everybody knows – for the last six months that they want to get rid of Jimmy G. So the, any leverage they had was gone at the last last year. But them coming out and saying it, it doesn't matter. Everybody knows it. Jimmy G knows it. Everybody else in the NFL knows it. So that's I don't think it um, that matters at this point at all. Now, we don't know, as my friend Gary Dickman often says, I trust the coaches. <laughs> I'm not in practice every day. The coaches are in practice every day. I'm not in practice. I trust the coach. I wouldn't second-guess the coach. You know what? 
word is that he's one of the smartest guys as far as football sense is what I'm hearing on the radio is uh, in Trey Lance. And is he going to be a star from the get-go? No. He's going to have to build to it. I mean, I don't know that he comes on like Patrick Mahomes, but eventually he will be the star player that the San Francisco 49ers envision. That's the general consensus. And I don't uh, disagree with what the coaches say because they're in practice every day. Hasn't any quarterback that starts early in his career gotten the same label? Baker Mayfield, Sam Darnold, won his first game as a Jet on a Monday night. Oh, boy, he's the real – I could go on and on. So, I mean, I, some of them worked out, of course, you know, like a, like a Josh Allen and a Mac Jones for a certain – to a certain extent. If not Josh a Allen was horrible when he started out. I, I'm, what I'm saying is that when you first well, – overall, you look at his first couple of years, he's okay. been better than Patrick average. Mah- Patrick Mahomes was great when he first started, yep. wasn't he? Yes. Ben Roethlisberger was great when he first started. Most guys are kind of – Peyton Manning was bad. Eli Manning was bad. Mm, mm. Those guys in the Hall of Fame, they weren't very good. Aaron Rodgers had to sit for so long, so when he finally got a chance to play, Aaron Rodgers was great. We don't know that. And the guys be- who come out and start great, notice those are the guys that, that sat for a little while? Yeah, yeah. that's how it used What's to Trey been. Lance doing? What's Trey Lance doing? Sitting. Sitting. Right. But it doesn't mean that because you sit for a year, you're going to be – as good as some of those others, but I, I I agree with the point about sitting. You usually work out but better. But I trust I think. the coaches. Don't you trust the coaches yeah, anymore? I do. But okay. I mean, and again, I don't think they wanted to pay Jimmy G at that position this much. That might have been part of it with salary cap concerns. Also, think about this though with Jimmy G. Uh, you can say that he's been hurt or he's just okay or a little bit better than average, but twice in the last three years he has brought them to it. I mean, not he himself, but he's been the quarterback when they've gone to the Super Bowl and the NFC Championship game. He deserves some credit for that. You could say he didn't do well in the fourth quarter against KC. Yeah, he didn't, even against the Rams last year in the NFC Championship game. But he's the guy who helped bring them there. Is Trey Lance – I mean, right now that window is still open. Is Trey Lance going to be able to continue that? I still wonder. That's what they. That's what. That's what the hope is, and that's what. That's the path they're going down. Um, is Baker Mayfield going to be the quarterback of the future for the Carolina Panthers? Who's going to be the quarterback for the Pittsburgh Steelers? All of this stuff, nobody knows. But tr- Jimmy G has already done a lot very recently. Right. I mean, you got to give him Jimmy some credit. Jimmy G has shown that he makes very bad decisions at key moments. That's what you're not. That's what you're. That's what you're misremembering. Jimmy G in big games has made bad decisions, and that's that's the knock against Jimmy G. And that's why you know you can say, hey, Shanahan brought him to the Super Bowl. Jimmy G ruined it for everybody. They might be looking at it that way. They might be looking at the way Jim Ursay looked at Carson Wentz and the Colts last year. It was Carson Wentz's fault that you lost that last game. You're gone. So yeah. that's, I mean, that's the fact, Jack. And that is, and you can't, you can't debate. I won't either. And I said that, you know, he did have those interceptions in both of those key games. But he's also part of the reason they got that far. And Trey Lance might be better than advertised. If he's as good as advertised or as close to it, he's going to be good. Yeah. He hasn't Look. played a meaningful game in, what, three years now. And I know they see him every right. day and all that, and I have to right, trust right. him on that. I acknowledge that. I, I, I do have a feeling they're going to regret getting rid of Jimmy Garoppolo, at least for this year. Long term, Trey Lance is probably going to be better from all reports, as you said. I wonder right. about this year where that window is still open to go really deep into the playoffs. I think that the, I don't think that management looks at it like, hey, you know what? It's our fault. 
we didn't win the Super Bowl. Jimmy G helped us get us there. They're, they don't look at it that way. They're looking at, hey, we got the plan. Who didn't execute our plan? That's the way they look at it. The GM looks down at the coach and says, what, what did the coach do wrong? Ownership looks at the GM and goes, why didn't you get the right players? It all rolls downhill. Yeah. It, it's going to be fun watching him at the beginning of the season. Fun to watch. Starting, I, again, I, I wonder who his backup's going to be. I think we, I mentioned, uh, we mentioned a few weeks ago. It's nobody. They don't have any veteran back there. Like, for example, Zach Wilson as a Jet, even though he was horrible, he had Joe Flacco there, and he has Joe Flacco this year. I think that's kind of important to have a veteran in back of a rookie, and he is kind of a rookie still, Trey Land, starting just to have that mentorship for somebody who's been there and done that. I wonder if that could be an effect for San Francisco as well. But if they don't go, let's say they don't make the playoffs this year, just as an example, they can go 9-8. and eight. Not a bad year for a first-year quarterback. Maybe not a playoff record at 9-8. and eight. Uh, I think they, they, got too, they got way too much talent on that football team to be happy with 9-8. and eight. They got way uh, yeah. too much invested in the 49ers, in uh, Kittle and uh, all of Debo. the weapons that they have. Debo Samuel, yeah. But that's kind of my point. They do have too much talent. But, I mean, is anybody thinking that Trey Lance is going to lead them to a 12-5 and five record? I, I, I don't know. I don't know, Gary. What about the – doesn't matter what you or I think. Does anybody think um, – Look at. let's look at their record. Let's look at a bunch of different things. I think the team thinks that this is the way to go. Yeah. So, obviously, obviously they think they're going to go to the playoffs with him. I, again, in my opinion, I think they're going to regret it. Well, the time will tell in a few months, but that's going to be, again, a, a fun story because they were so close last year. I mean, if it wasn't maybe for Jimmy G interception, I believe in the fourth quarter of that game, they could have beaten the Rams and gone to the Super Bowl. I believe they were that close. Uh, and Trey Lance, I think it also puts a little bit more pressure on him, knowing how good they were and the talent that's still there, that if you only go 9-8, and eight, which isn't bad for a first-time starter. But, and again, it's a tough division. We know that. It's a very talented team on both sides. But that would be a step backwards if they go 9-8. and eight. And right now, to me, if they had Jimmy Garoppolo starting this year, I would still pencil them in A for the playoffs and a team that could go a game or two or further in because of what they showed yeah. last year. They're, not, they're basically the same roster. I think Mike Shanahan is a smart coach. Oh, I Kyle. think that he – Kyle Shanahan. Uh, Mike Shanahan's smart, too. <laughs> Kyle Shanahan's a smart guy. He's not going to be all, okay, let me come up with all these plays for Trey Lance to throw it 20 yards down the field every play. You know, mm. he's a smart guy. He's going to – He's. they're going to see, you know, they're going to set this up so that it makes Trey Lance successful. Is Nate Sudfeld, is he still on the team, do you know? Because there's a – I'm not sure if he's – Nate Sudfeld check. is – he was, a, he was one of the quarterbacks last year, and he's got like five years' experience in the NFL. So it's not exactly like they got a bunch of rookies behind him. Ray, thank you for calling in. Aloha to you on this Tuesday, Wednesday. What day is today morning? Wednesday. <laughs> Good morning, guys. How you doing? Hi, Ray. Hey, Ray. On the way to fo- uh, football practice, go Bulls, Warriors. Right on. Uh, real quick. You know, you guys are talking about Jimmy G. This is a business decision. Last year, if I remember correctly, they beat the Rams twice. Twice. Mm. Okay? And Jimmy G was hurt last year with his hand. I'm not saying that he's perfect, but Aaron Rodgers didn't do that well either, and people considered him in contention for one of the best of all time. So, 
Jimmy G is coming off of a surgery. That's always an unknown. You never know how the guy's going to respond, especially at the beginning of the year. He hasn't thrown a ball in God knows how long. The option that they have with Trey Lance, yes, he doesn't have experience, this, that, and the other. But the one thing that Jimmy G could not do with the Niners that Trey Lance could do, option one, two, three are covered. He can run with the ball. And that gives them threats at every position, offensive position. So that's the only way I look at it. And it's a business decision because, as you know, Chris, ratings and radio are this, are important. In business, you can't hold on to these guys. You've got to move them. You've got money invested in other key players. Maybe you can get something for Garoppolo now, a one or a two down the road and see what happens. They're going to have to live with that decision regardless. But they had to move them. They had to. I mean, that's just the way it is. That's football, baby. <laughs> right on. Hey, enjoy practice, Ray. Thank you. Thanks, Ray. You know, I'm looking over the uh, the San Francisco 49ers schedule, and I let's see, they got there's one with the Bears, one with the Panthers, the Falcons. Oh my gosh, Washington Commanders. This is good. <laughs> everyone out. This is a tough schedule they've got. I'm going back to what you said earlier. I'll go for nine and eight right now. Man, they've got the uh, Seahawks is always going to be tough. I don't care who the quarterback is. Yeah. They've got the, the Broncos with Russell Wilson. They've got the Rams, even though, uh, like Ray said, they beat them twice. Then they get a couple of buys. They get the Panthers and the Falcons. Then the Chiefs and the Rams and the Chargers, the Cardinals and the Saints with that great defense. Uh, the Dolphins, I don't know you know where they are. Then they got Tom Brady and the Bucks. Seahawks again. Man, this is a brutal schedule, 49ers fans. By the way, keep listening. We're going to be giving away tickets to a San Francisco 49ers game, and it's going to be in uh, November, I believe, and I can't remember what team it's against. I want to say it's the Rams or Chargers, but anyway, we'll uh, inform you as we move along in the season. It's 18 minutes after here with the Animals on ESPN Honolulu. Oh, Tanner uh, texted us, even though he's in the studio. (laughs) Nate Sudfield is the backup. They drafted Brock Purdy, last draft from Iowa, as another body in camp. Thank you, Tanner. So Nate Sudfield, I mean, the guy's been around since 2017, so it's not exactly like someone who hasn't been around the league. No, but I mean, I'd rather have a Joe Flacco than a Nate Sudfeld. I'd rather have somebody who's you know played a significant amount more so. As an, well, who else is out there? Who else is out there? Well, Teddy, I mean, not today, probably not that many, if anybody, but about three months ago, you had a Teddy Bridgewater, you had a Joe Flacco, you had a Nick Foles. I don't even know if Nick Foles has signed with anybody. Uh, you had some. You had a Matt Ryan. Yeah, you had... Nick Foles would be a good one. Nick Foles would be a good one. But anyway, uh, it's 19 minutes after the hour here on ESPN Honolulu, and let's get you ready for Rainbow Warrior football practice. Uh, as you heard Ray mention, it starts today. Kind of a different format if you're headed out there. We'll discuss next on ESPN Honolulu. You're listening to the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Text or call the show at 296-1420. Rainbow Warriors start practice today. 
and they've split up practices. You might have heard uh, the other day uh, us talking about that. But if you're planning on going, they're going to have two different sessions. And what they're going to do is they'll have like an offense session and then a defensive session and then in between a special teams session. I'd like to watch the, the special team session because in the past, it seems like the special team session has just been the kicker and the punter fooling around on the sideline. <laughs> I don't Hopefully they'll look a little bit more on returns, punt return, kickoff returns, and a lot of other things. But 30 minutes in between the other two, yes. So practices are going to run from 6.45 to 9 a.m. weekdays. Uh, I'm sorry. For, first of all, what, what, here's the schedule. It goes 6.45 a.m. to 8.20 a.m. That's going to be one session. And the second session, after special teams, I guess, uh, um, session for like half an hour, from 8.50 a.m. to 10.15 a.m. Then Saturdays, they start an hour earlier on everything. So 5.45 and 7.50 on Saturdays. So there you go. It says 9 p.m., though, for those Saturday sessions, for the 5.45. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Thank you, Gary. Yeah, so Saturday sessions will be at night. That's very interesting. That's that's a pretty good idea if you want to go down and watch. I think a lot of people would like to go go down and do that. That, too. I think it also may be trying to simulate game night at the same time, basically. Even though Saturday games would start, I guess, mostly at 6 o'clock. But you have them start maybe to get the players used to the lighting, uh, the, you know, everything, the conditions that is a typical game day and maybe try to simulate that. But I thought that was interesting as well. But I think more people would go on those Saturday nights for those sessions as well. Right. So they, they have different groupings. So the, the, the practices will be the, the ones and the threes. Practice two will be the twos and the fours. So what we're talking about, that we're, we're talking about first string and third strings and second strings and fourth strings? What are we talking about yeah, there? Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. Breaking it up like that's what uh, Timmy told us the other day as well. It's interesting they say the players' grouping will be determined the night prior. I guess that changes or could change on a daily basis. Yeah, you work your way guys. up. Yeah. So it's maybe incentive to um, – well, if you're in the first uh, first unit, you're going to be practicing earlier in the day, though. But uh, still, uh, but you want to be in that – you want to be in the first string, then the second string, if you have a choice. Isn't that the key with – any kind of football team that you want no, to be. Well, in I'm just first... saying, but, but your reward is you got to be. You're going to be in the first. You're going to be in the early group by being first string. But I mean, that's something that'll be changed. On I don't a daily think, I, Gary. I don't think they look at it that way. I think they look at it as you want to be in first string, so you play the most. I, no, just and you don't sit more. on the bench. Oh, I, I'm t- did, I didn't know you understood that about playing sports. <laughs> I'm just saying. So they got new helmets. You saw the new uh, football helmets. Yeah, they look and great. It has, of course, your H logo. I didn't catch. Uh, I'm looking at uh, KHON2's uh, website, and uh, I didn't catch this. Do they still have the Hawaiian Islands, or do we have H's on both sides? Because all the photos only show one side at a time. And, I, I mean, just have that one side. From what I'm seeing, it's like the H's on both sides. Left okay, and the right awesome. from what I've seen, the two pictures. Okay, so I see a white helmet and a black helmet. And the, and the, and so we're going to have two. So we're going to have two different helmets. Yeah. Okay. It, yeah. Awesome. They look great. They look really, really nice. I like them a lot. They'll be giving. What out do you stickers. like about them, Gary? I like the colors. I like the scheme. I like everything about the logos, the H's, and the stickers. They're going to look really cool. The Hawaiian Islands on there.
I like everything it's, about it. it they look Gary, explain to the audience on the radio what it looks like. <laughs> That's what I'm trying to get you to do. Uh, I don't have the description of it right here, but I'm looking at the pictures. And it, uh, they have the H on both sides. I guess what they call chicken feathers down the middle of the helmet on the top. And other stickers on this. You're going to give out stickers for white for, I'm not sure if it's white for defense or white for offense, but they're going to give out two colored stickers uh, throughout the season. I think that'll be fun to watch. I don't know if we've ever done that before, if I can remember. But I know a lot of schools. Yeah, June, do Jones, that. June Jones has June, done did that. did do that? Okay. Yeah. I remember back that. Just the look of it is, is really nice. I, I would wish, One thing I was thinking of, because I know, you know, like people that buy sports memorabilia, they'll, they'll wear shirts, they'll wear jerseys and stuff like that. I don't think too many people buy helmets because it's not something you would wear around like a shirt or a hat. But maybe and they're they have, expensive. Well, they're yeah, they are expensive. And I know mini helmets are made, but maybe they could put them at the, 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 the H zone, put mini helmets like that. I bet those would be a pretty good sale, uh, seller. I think the fans really liked them. It's something different. It's something really nice. I really like them a lot. And I know last year's helmets were nice. You know, everybody liked the, the Hawaiian Islands and everything that used to be on the side. But they're still there, maybe not as big. Uh, but I really like the design of the colors. Let, me, t- let me take a shot at this. If you're wondering what the helmet looks like, they have a black helmet or a white helmet with the H on both sides very prominently. Uh, and then they have a small Hawaiian Islands around the ear hole. And uh, at the top of the helmet, instead of a stripe, it's a stripe made up of, and it looks like either spearheads or feathers. And instead of the little warriors that June Jones used to have or the Buckeyes that Ohio State has, they're little triangles, and those represent chicken feathers, which is really interesting. So with the, the way that um, this was designed by a local guy, but the hula moa, is what it's called. The helmet stickers are called Hula Moa, chicken feathers, and you earn them throughout the season, right? Hey, good game. You you hand out the stickets, uh, stickers. Now, they're going to have white stickers for the defensive player, black stickers for offense. And the reason they're having that is, and this is from KHON2's website again, is King Kamehameha's white and black stones, which represented being on the offensive or defensive in battle. So when you hear the story behind the artwork, it's really, really quite incredible. And I hope that visiting teams explain that to their audiences as they go on to play Hawaii. I hope that the Michigan audience explains to all the people, you know, Big Ten fans, what the Hawaii helmet represents. This brings great pride to me. To look at this helmet and, and, and being as, as and being a Hawaiian and looking at this helmet and going, wow, you guys, the Hawaiian Islands were cool, but, you know, this takes it one step further where you go, yeah, that's what we're about. That's that's what the brotherhood is about. That's what, that's what about being local is about. You come up with your own stuff. And the, the, the artwork on this is, you know, I don't know how long they've been working on it, but um, super proud looking at that helmet, and that represents the state of Hawaii right there. 631 with the Animals. We're going to talk some Major League Baseball with a special guest coming up next on ESPN Honolulu. The Bobby Curran Show is brought to you by PVT Land Company, supporting academics, athletics, and the community on the Waianae Coast.
Gary Dickman, Chris Hart here talking a lot of sports, mainly football, but baseball really heating up as the trade deadline approaches next week and pennant races right around the corners. We're headed to August. We're going to talk more MLB as we are joined right now. Covers baseball for USA Today Sports. Back with us, Gabe Blacks is with us. Gabe, thank you so much for joining us. Before I talk about last night and what's ahead, I want to get your thoughts on the All-Star game from last week because the ratings were really down again. And I wonder, you know, in the old days, when you'd have the All-Star game, you would see pitcher and hitter basically never appearing against each other during the regular season, only during the World Series. Now with interleague play every day, it's not as special a deal. You think that's part of the reason that the attraction of the All-Star game has maybe been lowered a little bit? Uh, yeah, probably a little bit, but I, I, you know, I tend not to pay too much attention to ratings, per se, whether they're up or down. Uh, essentially, ratings will always be down for everything except football. Football is the, the NFL football, really, the only proof animal in the entertainment industry. Uh, just because our entertainment viewing has become so stratified. Uh, but to your point, yeah, it, it, there is a, a statement to be made about, you know, a slightly softening demand for, for baseball and, and the, the general appeal of the All-Star game with regard to the like you said, the mystery uh, of, uh, of a batter versus pitcher, of uh, you know, two guys that have never seen each other before. Uh, so much is out there now. Interleague play has, uh, you know, has really taken a lot, of, a lot of the starch out of that. That, that said, it, it did seem relatively successful in terms of uh, introducing, if you look at the totality of the home run derby in the game, you know, introducing some bright young stars to the game, uh, you know, kind of displaying a lot of, a lot of skills with these guys and such. So it's uh, yeah, it's, it's really hard to make it a, a perfect platform. But I think I think it was about as good as it could be uh, given the, the modern landscape of uh, of how we take in entertainment. What I love about right after the All-Star game is that it seems like these games get a lot more important as you head into August, less games left, less opportunities to move up in the standing. I want to talk a little bit about the Mets and Yankees and their first meeting of Ford this year where I'm a Mets fan, so I was really happy about yesterday, but it seems like Aaron Judge hits a home run every day, and he seems like he almost does with his 38th home run. How significant, if at all, would it be if the Mets with Max Scherzer tonight would beat the Yankees once again? Uh, it would be a victory in the regular season, <laughs> you know. Okay. I mean, I think the uh, I think the Orioles, the the Yankees telegraphed their intentions, you know, with who they started uh, in this series. Uh, Jordan Montgomery and Domingo Germán, you know, you're not exactly lining up the horses for a, a big series. You know, it's uh, there's not really many messages to be sent this time of year, uh, other than yeah, I mean, you can certainly take away what you want from it. For the fans, it would it would be fun. For them, you know that they uh, they captured the uh, attention of the market and beat uh, not rivals per se, but uh, you know for prominent team within their own market and, and kind of you know a little bit of a message that they've been doing uh, has a lot of validity because the Yankees have been the best team in baseball this year. So uh, I wouldn't stock in a Yankees loss, but uh, a Mets win would certainly be a you know a, a nice little springboard to sort of justify what they've been doing and. What 
Right. It was an, it was an exciting atmosphere from everything we've heard as well. One more question on that game. I don't like to second guess coaches or managers, but do you think in the eighth inning last night, Yankee manager Aaron Booney pinch hit for Isaiah Kiner Falefa? Already had two hits in the game, and he pinch hit for him with Joey Gallo, who after his strikeout last night is hitting 161. Do you think that was the right move, even though it's easy in hindsight to say it might have been or might not have been? What are your thoughts at the time? Uh, it's interesting to see what he may or may not be telegraphing this time of year, what with the trade deadline around the corner. Uh, you know, I think uh, you Kiner know, Paleta, no home runs this year. Uh, so it's, uh, you know, it's one of those deals where if you're looking to get in a big spot, uh, you're not going to get it. And if you're going against an elite pitcher like Diaz, uh, chance that you might run into one, then string three hits together and, uh, you know, or even more to try to, to make a it. But, uh, I think the you know the subtle message that might be sent is uh, you know, here's here's our left-handed power bat off the bench. I'm putting him in a big spot. Let's see how he does. Okay, that informs us a little more heading into the trade deadline. That maybe uh, maybe we need to get a, a left-handed stick to balance things out. You know, not just in the everyday lineup, but uh, but off the bench as well. Because uh, better to have that failure in uh, in late July than in mid-October. So you, you never know what the full are at this point in time, but. Uh, Obviously, uh, you know, a, a test for Gallo and one that he continued to, you know, continue to fail. So we'll see. We'll see what that looks like when August second comes around and it's time to uh, finalize uh, their October group. Gabe Lax from USA Today Sports talking MLB with the Animals on ESPN Honolulu, ninety-two point seven FM and fourteen twenty AM. I don't know if I've ever asked during the season about the Baltimore Orioles, especially in a positive light. I know you tweeted about them last night as well. After their win last night, they're actually ahead of the Red Sox, which is crazy to say in the AL East, and only three games out of the wild card. How surprising is is what what the Baltimore Orioles have been able to accomplish so far this season? It's really surprising, simply because a lot of players who were around for, for sort of the darker years They've all taken steps forward this year, whether you're talking about Ryan Mountcastle or Austin Hayes, uh, and then just the, uh, you know, the, the Bolton as a group, massive steps forward, whether it's guys that have been around or uh, guys that have been from other organizations on waiver claims or whatnot. But so you look at uh, Dylan Tate, Felix Bautista, all-star Jorge Lopez, uh, CNL Perez, who uh, was let go. Uh, that, that this guy might be the nastiest left-hander big leagues this year open. So it's uh, it's kind of stunning to, to see it all kind of come together like that. Now, whether the, this is the high water mark for them or if they're just going to continue to ascend is really an open question and one that their GM, Mike Elias, is going to have to consider really hard the next week. Do they keep this group together or do they keep flipping guys uh, for the purpose of, uh, you know, really flooding the zone with depth uh, over the course of, of what they envision as their really great years, which might be sometime between 2024 and uh, you know, 2023 and 2025, somewhere in there. That might be their their sweet spot. So, uh, you know, or do you reward these guys for, for what they've been able to accomplish? It'll be a, an interesting week in Baltimore, but, you know, they're, uh, they are playing really good baseball. The bullpen will keep them in almost every game. So uh, they're very legit, whether they're, uh, they're really a great or not, and, and really, uh, you know, a uh, that, that kind of remains to be seen, but it'll be very interesting to watch. 
On the other side of that area there, they have the Washington uh, Nationals, who won the World Series just three years ago. Now they have the worst record in baseball, 33-65. and 65. I know they've lost a few players like a Bryce Harper, Max Scherzer, Trey Turner, and some others, but how do you let a team go from World Series champs, and, th- and even last year they were bad, but two, three years later be as bad as they have been? It just shows uh, you know, the, the importance of depth in the minor league system, uh, the scouting and development arm of things. Uh, you know, they've, they've fallen a bit behind in that regard when you compare them. To, uh, you know, they were, for so many years, roughly 2012 through 2019, they were right there with, with every team in terms of being, you know, relatively consistent in elite. Uh, and, uh, you know, when you talk about the Rays or the Dodgers, the Red Sox, the Astros, you know, the Nationals made, uh, you know, just about a half dozen playoff appearances in that span. Some good luck. Uh, they got to draft Strasburg and Harper back to back. Some of that was good decisions. Uh, drafting Anthony Rendon when he was an injury concern out of college, trading for Trey Turner. You know, those are all, you know, feathers in management's cap, uh, in, in, you know, Mike Rizzo's cap. Uh, but, you know, all that was happening, and these guys were um, developing into a great team. You know, the Suddenly, the, the system was, was kind of barren, and uh, obviously, you empty some of that to make Grace uh, to stay a contender. So, it uh, it all came crashing down in a hurry. And, uh, you know, whether they pulled the plug too soon last year, you know, I think they were only six games out when uh, they decided to tap out. Uh, so, you know, that, that expedited this process. Now, they, they really just got to dig deep and uh, take a big step back. The thing I think that's really disappointing uh, for the Nationals, whether it's uh, you know, GM, manager teams or their fans is just how bad this team is because they're not really tanking. They have, uh, you know, it's their infield. They, they have Josh Bell at first, Cesar Hernandez at second, Alcide Escobar at short. You know, they're not, uh, uh, you know, they, they didn't exactly go in intending to be horrible. They've been real bad. So it's uh, it's a tough time for them, and I think it's uh, this retooling process that they talk about might, might be a little more extended than they anticipated, which is why, uh, you know, you're That'll be what everybody's keeping their eyes on. Trade deadline, as you mentioned, next Tuesday. Pennant races are starting to heat up. Gabe, great talking MLB with you as usual, and we'll see what happens come next Tuesday as well. Thanks again. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you so much. Gabe Lax from USA Today Sports joining us here on ESPN Honolulu. Trade deadline is Tuesday, and now the San Francisco Giants, again, mentioned as a possible trade uh, for Juan Soto. They might get him. They can afford him. We'll see if that happens. Wow, that'll be great. That should really uh, give him a shot in the arm because, you know, the the, the rest of the uh, – I mean, you're just watching the Dodgers. What, have they won nine in a row or something like that? Well, they lost the two in 10. a row the last two, but before that they had won Ten like of the last 12, whatever yeah. it is, they've yeah. been on a roll. All right, it's 647 here on ESPN Honolulu and want to let you know the American Heart Association's Heart Walk is back August 6th. They have one in Waikiki and one on the island of Kauai. Uh, plus, they got free health screenings for you and the Keiki, a fun fair for the kids, and more. If you want details, visit hiheartwalk.org, hiheartwalk.org. And this message brought to you as a public service by Hawaii USA Federal Credit Union and ESPN Honolulu. This is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii app. So I'm gonna go down on 
going to be mostly sunny today, high again in the mid-80s. Actually, yesterday it wasn't bad until really about 4 o'clock. High today in the mid-80s. Uh, gosh, the other day it was like at 89 degrees, close to 90 degrees. Stay cool. Stay thirsty, my friends. Hey, speaking of that, uh, today is National Scotch Day. Scotchy, Scotch, Scotch. Scotch Day. So if you're, you know, if Scotch is your thing, pour yourself a double today. Did you know, by the way, Scotch whiskey can only be called Scotch if it's made in Scotland. Wow, I didn't know that. And the first uh, Scotch dates way back to the 15th century. And if you drink too much, you feel like you're in the 15th <laughs> century. But happy National Scotch Day, everybody. Scotch, does tequila Scotch, get its own day? I'm sure it does. I'm sure it does. All right, the uh, ra- uh, congratulations are in order to Rainbow Wahine, Brooke Van Sickle. Uh, She is the uh, um, indoor volleyball and beach volleyball standout. She was announced yesterday as one of the Big West Conference's two nominees for the NCAA Woman of the Year. So now she's up against 150 other uh, conference uh, nominees, some Division I, some Division II, some Division III. Uh, there were two nominated from the Big West. The other, Sandy, uh, San Diego's Ciara Frankie, a uh, water polo player. But um, I don't, in, in this release from the university, it doesn't really say what the what the criteria is. I mean, what do we, to be woman of the year, what do you do? A lot of community service? Do you have good grades? That's what I'd uh, like to find out. But, hey, either way. Brooke Van Sickle, she is a very special young woman on and off the baseball court, uh, baseball court, the volleyball court or the beach. So congratulations to Brooke Van Sickle. Yesterday, uh, right after we got off the air, they announced, and thank you, uh, Daryl Garvin, for that. The (laughs) Just kidding. The 2022 Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic brackets were announced. Now, we already know. That Hawaii and Iona and Pepperdine and SMU and Washington State and Utah State and George Washington are in it to win it. But um, so the brackets look like this. Rick Patino, the disgraced Rick <laughs> Patino, will face uh, uh, his Iona team will play SMU. I wonder what kind of reaction from the crowd that Rick Patino gets. Do they cheer him on? Or do you old-timers in the stands, put your newspaper down, stand up, and give them a Bronx cheer? <laughs> to you, Rick Patino. For the I younger don't... people listening, Rick Patino was a uh, former University of Hawaii basketball coach. Yet, it was just it was a total disgrace because uh, something happened and we got, uh, anyway, it was uh, some got bunch of guys appeared in a car commercial, and we got NCAA violations, and we were yeah. suspended and all of that while he was the acting head coach. So he doesn't put Hawaii on his resume. We don't count. Well, look at this now. Now you're coaching at Iona, and you got to come play in Hawaii. <laughs> to you, Patino. Uh, so Iona plays SMU. Seattle will face Utah State. George Washington, Gary's friends. We'll play Washington State, and then Hawaii will face Pepperdine in round one. So Hawaii, when they beat Pepperdine, will face either George Washington or Washington State. When we beat one of those teams, 
Then we're probably going to face uh, – I'm going with SMU, and then we'll beat SMU for the championship. I've already worked it out. There's no need to buy tickets. <laughs> <laughs> you heard it here first. Put your money down. Uh, Pepperdine hasn't been that great in the West Coast Conference. They've been near the bottom of the pack lately. Washington State, not a very good team either. George Washington got rid of my friend, the coach. They've been really, really bad ever since. Huh. I would think Washington State I'm and sure Hawaii. That, uh, I'm sure the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Cla- Cla- uh, Classic people are appreciating all this. We'll be right back on ESPN Honolulu. Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. No lie, bulai. Fire cell coming up on ESPN Honolulu. You're listening to the Sports Animals. Thank you very much. Bobby Curran's show here on ESPN Honolulu. And uh, top stories, well, uh, University of Hawaii football practice got underway 15 minutes ago. I imagine there are going to be some pretty decent crowds. Maybe the Saturday night sessions will have bigger crowds, but they haven't been able to go for a few years because of COVID, and I think it's going to be fun to watch them back in action. Timmy Chang welcomes all the fans there. The Live Golf Tour is expanding their purses from $255 million to $405 million next year. They're not even going to notice a difference in the bank account, and I think more golfers are going to start appearing, more tournaments, maybe more opportunities for some of these guys to really cash in. Yeah, the uh, this is uh, not one of the top stories, but it is as of note uh, locally. The NCAA looks like they're going to be voting on expanding the men's volleyball tournament from seven to 12 teams in 2024. Good or bad for Hawaii? I think it's definitely good. It's probably good for everybody. It might be more of a, more games to have to win to get to be the national champions once again. But if for some reason you don't win the Big West tournament in the automatic bid, you still have a good opportunity. And for Hawaii with their tough schedule and high RPI, I think it's good for them. I'm glad it's going to be an even number. I thought it might have been eight, which would have made sense. But 12, the more the merrier. Yeah, and also the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic brackets have come out, as we mentioned a little while ago. Here's Gary Dickman with some positive thoughts on that. I think it's going to be a really entertaining tournament. And, you know, you know, again, there's not the top 20 teams that you might have seen, but we haven't seen that in a while because of conference play starting in December. But there are some quality teams coming here. And I want to go back to Iona for a second. I know you brought up a, gra- a great question. What's the reaction going to be for Rick Pitino? His first game is going to be at 10 in the morning. I don't know how much of a crowd they'll have. I hope he gets somewhat of an ovation, but I know some old-timers Why? might not. Why? Because I think he's a great coach. And I, I he's mean, a jerk. He's a horrible husband. He he he, um, he 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 disses Hawaii. I don't know the word I, the, the word to say that I can say on the air uh, about Hawaii. Hawaii does not exist to him. He cheats on his wife. He's a cheater as a coach. And you want people to stand up and and give him a standing ovation? Why well, did say standing ovation? How do they cheat as a coach? I don't know. There's been he did. He wasn't, he wasn't found years. guilty of anything as a head coach. He was his assistant. Either was OJ. Come on. Well, Come no, it's on. a big difference. A big difference. No, I, know I, don't, you're... I don't think there's a difference. If, if there's constantly you're being investigated throughout your entire career, there's something going on. He wasn't investigated Pacino. throughout his career. Keep going. 
but okay, I, I think, but again, they're a good team. They were good last year, just barely missed out on the NCAAs. SMU out of uh, a, the AAC, another good team that's been in the NCAA tournament. Utah State out of the Mountain West will play Seattle. They've been an NCAA tournament team. So we're getting some really good competition here. George Washington won this tournament the last time they were here, probably because of their host. And Washington's okay. <laughs> Gary was the host, but you yeah. just said that they weren't very good. Now you're saying they're good. I, I, I said they won the tournament last time they were here. That's what I just said. I didn't say they right. were good. But in the last segment you said, or was it off the air, you said they weren't very good. Are I said it good on the air. I, last year they were not good. Okay. And I, all I, what I said was on the air right now is that they won the tournament last time they were here. I didn't say they mm-hmm, were. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I heard that. Okay. All right. Uh, 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 Washington. No, I don't want you to don't. But be honest. There are some teams that aren't very good, as you mentioned. But I wanted you to mention the good teams, too, because there are yeah. some positives about this. I, oh, definitely. And like I said, you have NCAA tournament teams at SMU and Utah State. And Iona was, has been in there in recent years. And I think with Rick Pitino, they've really kind of elevated themselves as a team. Uh, they were they won over 20 games last year, and they were a real force in the MAC. Lost in the conference tournament. It was a one-bid league, so they didn't get in. They were one of the favorites, one of the top two favorites, to go to the NCAAs last year. So I think Patino's done a pretty good job there, and I give him credit in a way for taking a job like that. Nobody would expect a guy with all those final fours to taking Providence to Louisville to Kentucky and now going to Iona. He didn't have many other options, I know. But I, I like what he's doing there. It's probably his last job. So I, I think that's going to be a fun team to watch. And they were good last year. Just because they're a mid-major, don't think that they're not competitive as good as some of the big guys. Pepperdine, I don't know a lot about right now, but I know they were obviously in the West Coast Conference, and I believe around middle of the pack or right below that last year. I think Hawaii's side of the bracket, they do have a good chance to go to the championship game. I mean, it's really too soon, of course, but based on what I remember from last year, they'll have a good opportunity to go far in this tournament, and hopefully they can play in the championship game for the first time at the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head. Yeah, I guess I'm, when I'm talking about uh, Rick Pitino is uh, that uh, in uh, about five years ago, uh, federal prosecutors uh, announced uh, that uh, Louisville was under investigation for pay for play. They're paying the players, which you're allowed to do nowadays. Uh, Adidas paid $100,000 to the family of a, a, a top national recruit. Um, a criminal complaint does not name Louisville specifically, but appears to involve the recruitment of Brian Bowen. Whatever happened to that guy? Did he play in the NBA? Was he that good? He went to Australia. In fact, he played here for the Australian team against the Clippers a few years ago. I know he got a tryout in the NBA. I don't believe he's on a roster right now. And it was his father who... You know, really was demanding money, but it was the assistant coach who was directly implicated with that. He is no longer with the team. Right. Pe- the but, biggest but, complaint but, about Bertino was that if he didn't know, he should have known. Yeah, of course. But I mean, uh, the the you're saying the assistant coach acted on his own to go make this deal for a hundred thousand dollars with Adidas, and Rick Bertino didn't know anything about it. I don't believe yeah. that at all. Now, back when he was in Hawaii, um, you know, Mister Positive was a uh, graduate assistant at UH in 1974. He became a full-time assistant in 75. He was the interim coach late in the 75-76 season. Um, Bruce O'Neill was the coach before that. I guess he got uh, he started the season, but then he got fired. Um, I, so in 1977, the uh, Patino was implicated in eight of the 64 infractions that led the University of Hawaii to be placed on probation. 
It included providing round-trip airfare for a player between New York and Honolulu, arranging for students, uh, student-athletes to receive used cars for season tickets, and handing out coupons to players for free food at a local fast food restaurant. It doesn't seem that bad, but I guess it was right. way bad in the mid-'70s. But, yeah, he's a cheater. So let's go out and uh, give him a standing ovation. Good luck, Rick Petito. Right now, it's that time, Tan. Hey, hit it, baby. The Bobby Curran Show presents Buy or Sell. Good morning, guys. Let's go ahead and jump straight into today's Buy or Sell. Now, some interesting news. As NFL training camps start to open up, Michael Thomas, who hasn't played in about a year and a half for the New Orleans Saints, is officially off the physically unable to perform list and was available for training camp, getting some film in for, I mean, for a while for who was once considered a top wide receiver in the NFL. And we're seeing both Jameis Winston come back from injury. And if you look at the Carolina Panthers as well, they get a healthier Baker Mayfield with the chip on his shoulder. Uh-huh. And the Tampa Bay Buccaneers signing Julio Jones yesterday was also very interesting. Uh-huh. Buy or sell. The NFC South will be a sneaky competitive division next season. <laughs> I'm selling. I don't think they'll be sneaky competitive. I think they have one very good team in Tampa Bay. The other teams, I don't think, scare too many people. They'll be okay. But I do think about New Orleans, not only Michael Thomas, you get Jarvis Landry and Chris Olave in the draft out of Ohio State. That is pretty impressive if they stay healthy. Still, I think it's Tampa Bay's division. I don't think anybody else will make the playoffs out of that division. So I'm selling. I'm, I'm going to, you know what? I, I, what is the question again exactly, Tanner? The NFC South is will be a sneaky competitive division next year. I'm gonna sell, but I'm and, and and it's only because the Falcons are so bad, and the Carolina Panthers are are, are pretty bad too. Don't sleep on the New Orleans Saints. I don't know if um, oh gosh, running back number forty-one, New Orleans Saints. Alvin Kamara. I don't know if Alvin Kamara. It depends on how long he's gonna be suspended for because that's got to come down pretty soon. Tampa Bay is gonna be fine. Uh, New Orleans is a very good defense. It depends. Really, I guess on um, on um, how many interceptions we get out of the New Orleans Saints. So I'll just I'm just I'm going to sell that for now. Buy, 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 buy. or sell. sell? Sell, sell, The Seattle Seahawks are certainly in for an interesting season as they go on for the first season without Russell Wilson. Of course, this is not a team devoid of talent. They still have an elite wide receiver duo. <laughs> And a couple of young stars on both sides of the ball, including Jordan Brooks, who was a very underrated linebacker coming out of last year. Mm-hmm. They just missed that one ingredient on both sides of the ball in quarterback and edge rusher. Buy or sell, the tough times for the Seattle Seahawks will only last for this season. Oh, I'm going to sell that because although they have a good young team, Look at who they're playing against. Look at their schedule. Look at their Los Angeles Rams and the 49ers, maybe even the Cardinals. They got to get good, but I think it's going to take a while because they need a quarterback, and you got to develop one or or get one in a trade or something. But I don't know. I I'm, I'm selling it. 
I'm selling it as well when you say it's just a quarterback and an edge rusher. Those are probably the most two important players that they'll need, partly because of the tough division, as Chris said. And they haven't been, even last year with Russell Wilson, they weren't a playoff team and they weren't really close. I think Pete Carroll's best days are behind him. Yeah. I don't think he's going to be there much longer either, which means it's going to be a total rebuild. So I'm selling. Buy, 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 buy or sell. Sell, sell, sell. And David Bakhtiari will be once again starting off a little bit injured as he oh. has another knee procedure done. So he will start off this training camp once again on the physically unable to perform list. Now for the Packers, obviously there's no Devontae Adams and their player and their salary cap is being held down by three players earning major money like Bakhtiari. Aaron Rodgers and Jair Alexander buy or sell this will be the beginning of the downfall of the Green Bay Packers oh that's a good one I'm gonna you know what I'm going to I'm gonna sell that for now look nobody likes NFL training camps especially veterans especially guys who have put in the years that uh, Bakhtari has he's got a little procedure but they're keeping him out just because they don't want him to be hurt I think he'll be fine it's going to be interesting to see what Aaron Rodgers does. Remember now they've got a running game. The you know the defense, I'd have to look at, but I'm not. I'm going to sell that. I'm going to say not quite yet. I'm going to buy that. I think this is the beginning of the end for them. I don't think Aaron Rodgers has more than two or three really good years left. I think Devontae Adams is a big loss. I think Nathaniel, uh, Nathaniel Hackett, their coach, quarterback coach or OC, went to Denver now. I think they're in a little bit of trouble. They're getting old. I know they're in an easy division, but for Green Bay, when Aaron Rodgers is there as he is these years, you got to go to far. You got to go far in the playoffs, if not the Super Bowl. And they haven't done that in a while. Uh, I know they went far with Tampa a few years ago, but last year was a real disappointment, and I think that's going to continue. So I'm buying. I think it's the beginning of the downfall. By the way, I think that uh, it was Aaron Rodgers who made Nathaniel Hackett, not the other way around, though. Okay, but they work together, and I think now you have a new guy taking over. I think it's going to be different with all the losses think, they I think, have. I think, I, I think a guy with, like, with Aaron Rodgers' experience, I think that he uses the guy to kind of give him tips, but he's not being coached. Anyway, thank you very much, Tanner Hayworth. Buy, 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 sell. Hit that button. <laughs> buy, thank buy, you. Or sell. Sell, sell, sell. Were we done? Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, that, that, that was buy or sell for, from ESPN Honolulu. Thank you very much. Tanner Perfectly executed outro. <laughs> oh, man. It's a quarter after seven. Arnold Martinez uh, from Countdown to Kickoff and the podcast Tips and Overthrows. Got to get those uh, that you can hear at ESPN Honolulu. He is going to join us next here on ESPN Honolulu. I wanted to, um, we've got a lot to go over still and so little time. Cameron Hayward um, had a comment about Ben Roethlisberger and about his comments. Ben Roethlisberger came out, I don't know if it was a podcast or something else, and said today's, the difference between the beginning of my career and the end of my career is that players in the NFL are all me guys. And Cameron Hayward's like, hey, you know what, who's also like, you know, one of the leaders of that team. It was like Ben Roethlisberger was like the godfather, but right underneath him, or maybe especially for the defense, Cam Hayward was the leader of that locker room. Cam Hayward took exception to that. Uh, it said it rubbed him the wrong way. And it's, the story to me isn't about Cam Hayward. It's really about what Ben Roethlisberger had to say. And I kind of agree with him. Today's NFL, for example... Asante Samuel, I, I believe he just retired. 
He came out, according to ProFootballTalk.com, and said that, oh, I didn't get brainwashed by the Patriot way like some of my teammates. (laughs) He's calling being a team player being brainwashed. He spent five years in New England and uh, I believe four or five years with the Eagles. He's a, you know, really good player. On a podcast, he said that, uh, you know, some of his teammates were brainwashed with that Patriot way. Quote, I ain't going for none of that. I don't know what no Patriot way is. You see, he played in, um, I guess he wanted a lot more money after his uh, four-year rookie contract. Then they put him on the franchise tag, and then he left in free agency. He said that Bill Belichick never wanted to pay him what he's worth. And he's all, he's all, all of them is company men talking about the Patriot way. I don't know none of that. I'm here to get money, take care of my family. The same way Bill Belichick is here to take care of his family, get his money. So you try to hold my money back and you want all your money, I ain't going to get no respect for you. What some people would call a good teammate, a team player, Asante Samuel, and many other players. Look at that as you're brainwashing me. You know, it's not about the team. It's about me. It's about me getting my money. It's, you know, the Kyler Murrays of the world scrubbing their social media accounts and other players who are just only playing for money. And I think that's what Bill, that's what uh, Ben Roethlisberger is talking about. I think, though, also he's talking mainly about the Steelers and what he's noticed from when he was a rookie to what he's seen the last few years. One of the things that Roethlisberger said I found really interesting, and I know he doesn't have a lot of experience in NIL, but he talks about the NIL changing college player that they're coddled so much, they think yeah. that, and they're treated so specially that when they get to the NFL, maybe more of that sense of entitlement. That could be a fact, a fact, and, a, and also a factor years ago. Yeah, ahead, not now. You can't comment on how the NIL is is damaging these players. It 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 just started. Yeah. Now what what I found interesting is that Cam Hayward uh, said several current and former Steelers made a positive impact in the locker room and organization. They were team first guys, and he mentions Antonio Brown. When you mention Antonio Brown in a locker room, all I think of is the coach talking to the rest of the team. He's in the back going Facebook Live thinking it's really, really funny. They talked about Juju Smith-Schuster. I can't comment on that. I don't know much about it. Uh, Brett Kiesel, who I know was a big team player. But for uh, the the fourth guy he mentions, Tyson Aluwalu. How about that? Yeah, I saw that. I like that. I like that. I thought that was great that he mentioned, uh, hey, these guys are good guys. These guys are team players, and Tyson Alualu's name comes up. All right, uh, coming up here on ESPN Honolulu, we're going to talk some UH football as practice gets underway today. We'll be right back on ESPN Honolulu. The Bobby Curran Show is brought to you by Dr. Charles Arakaki at Ohana Men's Clinic. Visit drcharlesarakaki.com. Let's bring in our pal Arnold Martinez. 
You can hear Coach on Countdown to Kickoff for Rainbow Warrior broadcasts. Also, uh, check out the podcast. He's very well connected. Uh, tips and overthrows. Got to get those. It's a podcast at ESPNHonolulu.com and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Arnold, thank you so much for joining us. And with football practice starting about 45 minutes ago, I want to get your thoughts on this. I know maybe some of this took place in the spring, but when you have a new coaching staff, how much teaching goes into the beginning of your practices, whether it's a spring or starting today? And also as far as teaching fundamentals, is there a lot of that on this level? Well, first of all, good morning, my friends. It's the greatest uh, time of the year, right? You said <laughs> it. It just started 45 minutes ago, and uh, we're all excited, man. Uh, so, but and, and thank you for having me. But good morning, Gary. Thank you. Um, oh, how good am I? What's that? Go ahead. I said good morning. Okay. Okay, good morning. All right. Um, fundamentals, yeah, you know, talking about the camp. You know, Gary, it, it depends on a number of, of factors, right, uh, such as, you know, a new staff versus established staff with a set culture or scheme. And it also depends on how many experienced returning players uh, you have at key positions. But generally speaking, uh, most every program starts with basic position fundamentals, even if it's a review for some guys uh, because, right, the veteran guys, they, you can never get enough. You know, every day is fundamentals, really, in your EDDs, your everyday drills. But in offense, um, if you're talking about offense, defense, we can go just real quick. Offense, basic fundamentals, you got, you're you going to start with blocking. People think that's kind of crazy, but receivers, wide receivers, O-line, everyone. Okay? Because before a running back or a wide receiver can get a carry or, or, or catch a ball, they got to prove they can block first, right, because there's only one ball. So if one receiver's catching the ball, those other guys, and, and it's, a, it's downfield, those other guys better be down there. Uh, those dudes better be blocking their tail off, right? And and so, and if a running back is ca- uh, carrying a ball, those receivers got to be able to block. And and we don't get big explosive runs if they're not downfield blocking. So they got to prove that. Then they can move to their position specific drills, such as catching and route running and COD, change of direction drills. And then we know O line, right? There, they, it's got to be you know, run blocking, pass blocking to the end of time. When they get up in the middle of the night, they should be in their pass protection set when they're taking the, you know, when they're relieving themselves at the toilet, you know, going pee. They better be in that good stance to, to, to relieve themselves. But defensive fundamentals, though, it's going to start with tackling, right? you got to have 11 guys who tackle well. You know, everybody talks about all this, you know, exotic scheme, but you're going to have the greatest scheme in the world, and but you only have really four good tacklers, it's not going to be that great for you. So um, then they move into specific technique position stuff, um, such as, you know, right, the line gets into the vertical pass rush technique. I mean, it, it gets really – there's a lot of nuances to it. But since this is a new staff, right, and a new scheme, they're going to also have to review their installation from spring. A lot of these guys that are in camp now, um, many of them weren't there in spring when they got the install. So they got to go, go review, get to a review first, um, Get, get the scheme in, and then all of that starts with A, A, K, and T. So say that for me, A, A, K, T. A, A, K, P. A, A, K, and T. So K and alignment, assi- uh, K and T. alignment, assignment, key, and technique. So you talk about fundamentals, everything has to start that way. you got to get an alignment first, whatever scheme you're going to run. you got to know where you are in the field uh, offensively, right? Is the ball in the middle, hash, wh- wherever you are. Assignment is what's your job, right? you got to know your job according to the play that's called. Your key, right, is, okay, who do I, who am I reading in this play? There's pre-snap and post-snap, okay? So 
at the pre-snap, you're looking for the alignment of defense. I'm just giving you an offensive example, and you know, and then it tells you, okay, when I release this, might this may happen, okay? And then when you when the ball snapped, there's a post-snap read, and then you have to read it again based on the movement of the defense, and then that tells you what technique you're in. So they're going to, you know, fundamentals, right? And then it's going to be alignment, assignment, key, and technique. Get all your scheme installed, and then it's just going to be reps and reps and reps. So that's kind of what they're doing in camp. I guess one of the reasons I asked that, you hear when, let's say, a quarterback is on a team and they have a new coordinator every year or even a new head coach, you hear about how diff- not how difficult but how challenging it might be to learn what the new coach and what he wants. But I'm thinking about the defense overall, linemen on the offensive side as well, and you talk about wh- what you do after the snap. You think that's something where coaches maybe have to break habits from the previous staff? No matter who it is, I'm not putting a previous staff down, but is there a lot of that goes on with the new staff as far as the fundamentals and teaching and maybe making sure these players do things their way as opposed to the old way. Oh, absolutely. You know, it's uh, sometimes the best person to coach is somebody who doesn't know anything, right, <laughs> because you've got them fresh. But when there's a new staff, when there's a new staff that comes in, they have their own formula and their own recipe for how they want to operate. This goes for everything, not just execution on the field. We're talking about culture, meetings, what they wear at workouts, practices, right, you name it. And ultimately they have a formula for execution and technique, like what you're talking about now. So, um, you know, how they want to play it. Uh, it's going to be different. There's going to be different terminology, different strategy. Um, and a player in previous systems will always have to adjust to retool their technique and, and their mindset. But, but fundamental football is going to remain there. They're got, they have building blocks, right? Some of these players are on their third coaching staff, right, mm-hmm. um, right now. Um, and so they're going to have to redefine their technique for a third. This is going to be their third time. And sometimes it's fine-tuning. Sometimes it's a, it's a whole new way. Um, and this is why you see the top programs in the country have continuity in coaching, right, and staff and culture. And consistency over the long run equates to sustainability of success. So, yes, they, they're going to have to adjust. Um, but, you know, let's say on defense, I, I think with, in this case, Coach Euro was there. Uh, now he is running the defense, and I'm sure he'll implement some scheme and technique that players are familiar with, right? Um, so he'll build a bridge. But there, there's going to be some new stuff as well. He's going to have his own philosophy, his own uh, footprint, you know, fingerprint that he wants to put on there, and he wants to define how he, his defense is going to play or, and they're, how they're going to play, and he's gonna, they're going to make those adjustments. You can check out the podcast, Tips and Overthrows. Got to get those. All right, there you go. You can also follow Arnold Martinez on Twitter at tips underscore overthrows as he joins us here on ESPN Honolulu. You talked about starting fresh with a new staff, and I want to bring up the quarterback situation. Right now, from what we hear, all four of these guys that we've heard about got an equal chance to be the starting quarterback against Vanderbilt a month from today. We know about Shager's experience. Do you think, though, because everybody is starting off kind of equal right now, that regardless of who the starting quarterback is, if after two or three games, if he's not very productive, that Timmy Chang could or should make a quarterback change? Sometimes you'll hear you got to give this guy opportunities and more experience, more game situations. But do you think it'll be a quicker hook knowing everything involved with this situation? Yeah, I mean, there's a, there's a way to choose a quarterback and then also to develop the guys that are behind him. And then, yes, when game – time comes you're all it's a constant evaluation period uh, you know we tell you, you you can't get comfortable you want to create open competition and you want guys to know that they have to earn it you want a guy who's going to fight and compete for the job and then also fight and compete to keep that job and to, to keep it it's it has to what you do 
um, in practice and every day has to transfer into the game, into high-level performance in the game. So w- when that game time comes, you know, and they're grading out the film, they, it's a totality. It's a whole body of work. It's everything. And they'll have, a, they'll have a set criteria, right? Coach Kimmy and Coach Shoemaker said they're going to wait to the last two weeks of camp um, to list the QB depth chart. This means a lot of reps and a lot of valuation time. So they can, get, they can be extremely thorough. Currently listed are six QBs for training camp, right? You got Shager, Cooper, Yellen, Farrell, Oppo, and Eden, if I'm correct. Yes. And of these guys, Shager has some game experience, right? He's got a big win, 18th, ranked 18, nationally ranked Fresno State last year. We've seen what he's done, and, and, and he's good. Uh, you know, all these guys are going to be good to some degree, but when you create an open competition, the past is the past. It doesn't matter. Anyone can earn the job, right? At this point, you just mentioned it. Um, and coach has a criteria that probably consists of, um, and I'm not saying it's exactly because I'm not in the meeting room, but it's going to consist of things like technique, uh, me- mechanics, accuracy, mobility, in and outside of the pocket, competitive aggression, right? Um, cognitive responses, in and out of pressure. How do you, how do they make decisions? Uh, command of the playbook, film study, leadership. There's a whole lot of stuff, leadership on and off the field. There's a whole lot of stuff because the QB has to be a leader. Well, they take all that into account, and it's a constant grade out. And each day on the field of practice and in the meeting room, these guys, they're graded against that rubric. And whoever grades out the highest percentage will win the job. And that's how you choose. Now, then comes game time, and then you add that into your, your equation as well, and you say, okay, um, you know, how is he grading out in the game? And at some point, you do have a, uh, you know, a cutoff or a threshold to say, okay, it's time to – this guy's ready behind him. Let's get him some game experience. We got to get some film. We got to see how, again, how are they going to make decisions under pressure? So all of that's going to, uh, will it be a short hook? There, there, there can be, you know, until somebody really says this is my job and it's undeniable, like he's head and shoulders above the other guys. Absolutely. Anybody can, can get that, can earn that spot. I want to get your thoughts on the practice format that they have. I have not heard of this in the past, but Timmy mentioned they did it at Nevada mainly because of COVID where they couldn't put everybody together. But the two, it's going to be 95-minute session sandwiched around a 30-minute uh, special teams practice. I think in a way it's a really good idea because you get to see more of these players deep in the depth chart. What are your thoughts on that? And has this been done by any other colleges that you've heard of? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. Um, and, and so what do, we can explain it just a quick for the listeners, but split practices, they're going to split into two sessions, staggered groups back-to-back, right, with the special teams in the middle. So what that means is there's going to be a practice session one and a two, and they're going to teach the same things in that practice session, right? Practice one will have your first group, your ones and threes, so your third group. And then practice two is going to have your second team and your 14 players or any, and then your mixed play guys down there on lower on the depth chart, I'm sure. And, and, and I think it's a unique approach. I know it's been done in a few places in camp and I, and I understand it. Uh, first, the science of teaching tells us that two to three hour practices do not promote efficient learning, right? Um, it's too long. Guys lose focus and intensity. Learning results are poor and it doesn't transfer to high level game performance, but keeping practices, keeping practice segments short, right, and a total of, like you just said, an hour and 25 minutes roughly, uh, and this will, this will promote more focused learning per group. Second, by splitting the entire team up into two smaller groups equates to more learning repetitions for each player. This is great for player development, Gary. You just mentioned it. The guys lower on the depth chart 
usually don't get that many reps in practice when you have everybody together, right? So now they can get just as many reps as the other guys. Um, and, and more reps means more learning time, getting better, more improvement, and getting film, getting them on practice film so they can get on film and they can, they can get in the meeting room and they can get better there as, as well. Third, I think it's going to be great for creating daily competition because each player feels like they can move up from two to one or four to three, or if they're not executing well, they can move down. It can create a lot of motivation there. And, and they've, they've announced that each night the players will be informed which session they'll be in the next day. So uh, ultimately it fosters better teaching, better learning, and, and really what we want is higher level game performance. Everything's got to transfer. If there's no transferability into the game, then we're just, uh, you know, we're just toiling in, in the wind. But, uh, yeah, so I, I like it. I, I Hopefully that explained it a little yes. clearer. And, yeah. You definitely did. Like and like it. you said, it's a great time of the year. Practice underway. The season will start a month from today. Coach, thanks for talking with us. We'll look forward to doing it in the future and talking more UH football as we get closer to game day. Man, I'm excited. It's, it's this time. <laughs> so I, I can't wait to see you guys. All let's right, get let's it going. Go. Thanks, right, Coach. Appreciate you guys. Thanks for having me. All right. Arnold Martinez joining us here on ESPN Honolulu. All right, so catch the coach on uh, Countdown to Kickoff before the games and, uh, once again, his podcast, Tips and Overthrows, at ESPNHonolulu.com. Baseball parents, hey, it's your last chance for your keiki to enjoy the Hawaii Rainbow Warrior Youth Skills Camp. The last session starts this Monday and goes through August 4th. Now, this is for boys and girls entering kindergarten through eighth grade. Uh, to register or get more information, go to hawaiiathletics.com and click on the camps button. Follow us on Twitter at Bobby Curran Show. This is ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii app. Gary and Chris here with the animals filling in for Bobby Curran. We are One the animals. Was... We're not with the animals on ESPN Honolulu. Go ahead, Gary. One of the things I was thinking about as far as conference realignment, we keep hearing, and it looks like it is headed at some point, to the super conferences, whether it's the SEC and Big Ten only or there's a third one, not sure. But I was wondering how that might affect Hawaii football as far as future scheduling. I I really look forward every year to when Hawaii will play a Power 5 school. I know Vanderbilt may be uh, debatable if they're a Power 5. Technically, they are in the SEC, even though they are winless last year. UCLA last year. We have Oregon coming up for a few times and other big schools. I hope that remain. But if these schools, let's say the SEC and Big Ten, do form and get to 20 teams or maybe a few more, the leftover schools from the Pac-12, ACC, and Big 12, I wonder if they're going to be as willing as far as playing Hawaii. Michigan this year, it's not being here, but I like when Hawaii gets these paydays and gets to play these big-time opponents. I wonder if that will be minimized or even go away. If there's more separation, if the group of five somehow does get their own playoff, I wonder if the power five will be even more reluctant to play a Hawaii, especially with the travel involved. We know some coaches don't like it. I don't think it's as as important as it might have been 20 years ago and you could use it as a recruiting tool and all that. I hope those games don't go away, but I wonder if that could be kind of an after effect of conference realignment and super conferences forming that group of five schools like Hawaii aren't able to schedule these schools like they used to. And it's good to get a win against maybe a Western Kentucky and a Duquesne, New Mexico State. Again, I really like when we get to play those big guys, and I hope that does continue, but I wonder if that is in the future. 
Yeah, that's a, a good point. Mm-hmm. I'm just like no, I'm I'm not following along here, and I'm thinking that the um, you know if you don't have those opportunities, not for just the University of Hawaii, but if you don't have those opportunities, you know if the have-nots can't even get a bone from the big teams for these game these body bag games, a lot of them just go away. They need those. I know. Financially, it helps the schools, as we know. And for a fan's perspective, we like those games. I mean, it's no fun losing to these schools, but I think it's – I'd rather play Michigan than play Duquesne. I, I know it's probably going to be a loss. Hopefully there will be a nice upset that Saturday. But those games, I think, are something that everybody does look forward to. They usually are one of the biggest uh, draws as far as attendance for the home games for Hawaii as well. Now, not at T.C. Ching. It's going to be a sellout, I, re- I think, regardless of who they play as far as a Power 5. But when you have a new stadium and you want to get 35,000 fans in, even a Vanderbilt, I believe, would draw more than maybe any other Mountain West school, maybe besides a Fresno or a Boise, and certainly more than a Western Kentucky, Duquesne, New Mexico State, and on really? and on. You think that more people go to Vanderbilt just because they're from they're a, they're a bad team from the SEC? It's not a brand name team. No, but I think just the SEC will have a bigger draw than a Duquesne, a Western Kentucky, and some of the other the, smaller schools. Nevada. I would think so. Yeah, I mean Nevada doesn't wow. draw well. Okay. And, I, and again, when you get the Oregon coming I, in, if, if, look, you're talking about Hawaii. So if you're talking about a lot of other schools in the Big Twelve, Twelve or the Big Ten or Big Twelve, even or the SEC. They have just as many people going to Duquesne as they do going to Alabama. That's just how it is. In Hawaii, what you're hoping for is because, and this is why you're saying this, in Hawaii, what you're hoping for is we get more big-name teams because the opponents draw the fans, not the University of Hawaii. And somehow, I hope that we can change that. Yeah, I hope we can change that too. But history, as an indicator, will show you that when a USC comes in, UCLA will be coming here. They're going to draw more, again, at a new stadium. At the 9,000 seat, I think, is not the real good example. But at a 35,000 seat stadium, at the previous stadium, at Aloha Stadium, I think that was the case. You would get bigger draws when a Washington came in. Maybe the Pac 12 would draw more anyway. And I know Vanderbilt is kind of the bottom of the barrel as far as Power 5 schools. But I, ra- I rather see a Vanderbilt than some of the other weaker schools on the schedule. I do wonder when they do expand conferences even more if they would increase conference games. We've already seen it a little bit. The Pac-12 now has, I think, nine conference games. They used to have eight. There's been talk about the SEC doing something similar. I wonder if they do that because if you have 20 teams or more in a conference, eight conference games might not be enough. And if you do away with one of the non-conference games, especially with the made-for-TV game, I wonder if the group of five will be the odd man out. Yeah. All right, coming up on ESPN Honolulu, more on University of Hawaii football. Also, uh, you know, some, uh, some coach speak that you'll never hear. It's all on the way with the sports animals on ESPN Honolulu. This is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. And the Sideline Hawaii app. We'll have another traffic update for you coming up here on ESPN Honolulu. It's uh, the sports animals. And uh, um, 
Keith Amamiya is on the line. Keith, of course, is uh, running for lieutenant governor, and he appears via uh, Amamiya for LG. How's it going, Keith? We've been seeing you on TV a lot. Yeah, going good. Going great, Chris. Thank you. Right on. You know, Gary was just talking about this, and we like having you on to talk about sports. What the, what Gary was just talking about conference realignment and, uh, you know, the different ways that it can affect the University of Hawaii. And there's, you know, are there there's a lot of bad ways. Are there any good ways? It's, it's an interesting topic to talk about. Yeah, um, you know, there's a lot of changes going on with the Power Five conferences, and you know, it's it's everyone's hope that we don't we don't get left behind, and so we need to best position ourselves to to you know have a have a place, uh, you know, once once all realignment shakes out. But you know, we need things like a new stadium uh, first of all, and. Uh, you know, who knows how long that's going to take. But, um, yeah, a lot of these things, you know, unfortunately should have been done ahead of time um, in terms of the stadium and other things. But got to do the best we can uh, or not so we don't get left behind. Yeah, you know, you're talking about the stadium. I think Stephen Sai had a um, good point in one of his columns recently. And he was mentioning that, hey, you know what, we got to stay on top of these people. If we kind of just sit around us as fans – sit around and just wait to be told where we are on it. I mean, we should be demanding, hey, you know what? Give us a timeline. Where should we be in six months? Where should – he didn't say all this. I'm just adding to it. Where should we be, at, 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 you know, in a year? You know, is, is, it, uh, is it under budget or is it going to be over budget? Are there delays? I mean, we, I, I think we as fans, we'd like to be kind of kept abreast of what's going on, unlike we did with the rail. Yeah. I, I agree 100 percent, and uh, we need to hold our our leaders, our elected officials, more accountable. And that's a big reason I'm running. I mean, it's it's the lack of accountability. I mean, how can we not have a stadium? We I, I, we're probably the only Division One program without a true college football stadium. And Lord knows how long it's going to take till we get a new one. You know, they say three years. I'm not sure. I hope so, but based on past history, it may be longer than that. And can we go without a stadium that long uh, while all the conferences are realigning? Well, I think one of the questions is, is the Mountain West Conference going to want us in there if this thing drags out? And the answer, clearly from Craig Thompson, is uh, no. Well, yeah, so I'm that, not that, sure what yeah. he said, but, but we can't. I mean, they need every football program to have a viable stadium, among other things. And, and there, I mean, we can go on and on about the other lack of resources that uh, should have been funded by the state a long time ago. And so uh-huh. if I get in there, and hopefully I do, you know, I'm a sports guy, and sports will be a priority, um, unlike some of my opponents where sports is clearly <laughs> not a priority, where it's taken – 10 years to finally approve the funding of a stadium and it's going to take five more years to get the stadium built. I mean, that's just so unacceptable and it's really hurting our, our football program and athletic program in general. All right. Well, um, you know, we, we can only hope that uh, they've learned lessons from their past 
And I think the, what you're saying is also really, it really makes sense is, you know, how can these people not be held accountable? At what job are you allowed to not be held accountable year after year after year? So that's something that I think we, you know, we all, whether we're, uh, you know, whether we're, if we're going to be the lieutenant governor or governor or I'm just a sports fan. I mean, we've got to hold these people accountable. And that it would be by asking questions and getting answers and staying on the forefront. I mean, if you want to be accountable, just come out with everything and just say, this is where we're at. Don't, you know, don't ask for the journalists to try and figure it out for everybody. Be, you know, be, be out in the open. And I think even if you're behind schedule, people would appreciate that, wouldn't they? Right. Yes. And, and it's also about having a vision. It's also about being proactive. Uh, and not reactive and wait till a stadium is about to be condemned or is <laughs> condemned and, uh, right. and unusable before you finally fund it. I mean, you know, I, I, I don't like calling out people, but, you know, Sylvia Luke is taking credit for appropriating $400 million for the stadium. But, I mean, it's, it's better late than never, but look at the position the football program is in uh, where they can't play in a in – a, real stadium for indefinitely um that we should have also foreseen conference realignment this this shakeup started with the breakup um you know or the defection of west schools to the mountain west over 10 years ago we should have known that we were vulnerable build a build a appropriate stadium build appropriate facilities for the football program make sure training tables are set up um, you know, and that we have comparable competitive facilities so that we can hold our own in recruiting. And that's something I'll bring if, if I'm fortunate enough to be elected lieutenant governor is sports needs to be a priority in the state of Hawaii, and I'll make sure that happens. Right on. Well, we'll talk to you again. Keith, have a great rest of your week, and uh, thank you for uh, dialing in here. Thanks. All right. Take care. Bye. All right, that's Keith Amemiya. Of course, uh, he appears uh, courtesy of Amemiya for LG. You know, you bring up some of the negatives, and I like the fact that when you're talking about the brotherhood and Coach Timmy Chang and this movement we have going forward, I think we're at least moving in the right direction, and those are the fans. Those are the fans that showed up at that spring game en masse and, uh, you know, showed how passionate the fans can actually be. These are the fans who are going to fill up the stadium. These are the fans that are going to hopefully show just as many people show up for Duquesne as they do for any other opponent. I know there's only 9,000 seats. But I like the fact of the Hawaii Restaurant Association and Rick Nakashima and, and Ruby Tuesday and the other restaurants who have come forward to help feed the players when they saw that there was a need. A lot of people from, whether it's the fans, to the business community, to the university, really putting everything they can behind the brotherhood. So we're, we're, we're headed in the right direction. It's kind of sad, like he says, that we've been so reactionary in the past that that's the situation we're in right now. All right, top stories coming up here on ESPN Honolulu. Coach Ron Ganat's going to jump in here next hour, too. On ESPN Honolulu. Now, from the PAXA studios in downtown Honolulu, 
The Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. I feel like a pretty girl this morning. Just after 8 o'clock at the Animals, Chris Hart and Gary Dickman on ESPN Honolulu uh, following some of the top stories. Uh, University of Hawaii football practice begins today. And uh, apparently just a few minutes ago, Diedrich Parsons almost ran for a touchdown. And uh, uh, quarterback Farrell had a fumble. What else is in there? What else are you, are you seeing on the uh, social media there, Tanner? On um, social medias. The biggest probably story to come out of this is right now for the ones and threes. The three quarterbacks reporting are, like you mentioned, Jake Farrell, Armani Eden, and Joey Yellen. All right. Okay. All right. Uh, So they've got two practice sessions going on uh, today. And then uh, coming up, Saturday night practices. We can get into that in a second. Or check out hawaiiathletics.com. the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic brackets came out late yesterday morning, and Hawaii will be facing Pepperdine. Also, this is interesting. Uh, Gary was mentioning that the NCAA is going to vote on expanding the men's volleyball tournament from 7 to 12 teams. So uh, gives uh, you know, I think it's just good for the sport overall. And those are kind of our top stories we've been uh, looking at today. Also, the Live Golf Tour expanding to 405 million in purses from 225 uh, next year. I just saw something. Speaking of money, the Green Bay Packers—they got to report their financials every year, right? Because they're publicly owned. And uh, on Pro Football Talk, they uh, they ended the 2021 season earning 579 million dollars in revenue 579 million now you know their operating profit is 77.7 million dollars and i'm not sure what that means because we're talking about numbers that are so far away from reality for me myself but you know i mean so that's 77 million before taxes and other things that you have to pay I'm not sure. I'm not sure is 77 the total net or not. But, I mean, these owners of the NFL who say that, you know, they're not making any money, come on. When you look at $77 million for the Packers, you can kind of figure out what everyone else is making in the league. Small market. Small market, Green Bay. Even though they have loyal fans and everything great on the field, it's a small market. So a lot of people speculate if they're making that much, other teams in bigger cities are doing even better, even making more money. I guess it also explains how. how? Because you, how have a big, you have a bigger television market, maybe a bigger TV and radio package in your home market. Mm. Uh, ticket sales, you can you can sell pay, a charge ticket, more they, in a bigger they sell, market. They sell just... Um, I don't know that you can charge more in a in a in a bigger market than the Green Bay Packers, who have a national fan base who wouldn't sell out all their games. If you're selling out all your games, you're not you don't need to sell your tickets, you know, at a bargain basement price. You're not going to get tickets to a Green Bay Packers game for fifty bucks. Yeah, but you look at L.A. and New York; and those you, teams charge a, t- a lot. I don't want to say a ton, but in New York, it is a ton. I mean, you can well, get tickets like a thousand bucks. Everything's expensive in New York, 
and in San Francisco and in some of these other places. Not just that. But, yeah, okay. So I'm guessing if you have a 100,000-seat stadium or whatever it is that the Dallas Cowboys play in, how many fit in that? Is I 70, think it's around 90 to 100. It's about 90, I think, it's somewhere a, in there. So those aren't absolutely sold out in Dallas. You know what I mean? Because they have those ones where they can they can put in more temporary seating and all of that. Oh, right. Um, but anyway, it's, it's you can still kind of get an idea for how much everyone makes. Now, when you say small market, I don't think that just people who live in Green Bay – in the city of Green Bay, are going to Green Bay Packers games. Just like there are people from all over who might be, there might be a lot of people driving from Los Angeles going to Las Vegas Raiders games, and vice versa. You know, so, I mean, you can't, I think that the term small market team is really blurred from what it used to be. You you know, the limitations of being in a city, it's so much easier to get around. I mean, there's a, there's people that you know that that might just hop on a Southwest flight and fly for half an hour somewhere to go to a game. Season ticket holders that don't even live in the exact state. That's true. I, I heard it on ESPN Radio that 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 shows that they make they were a small market and them making that much just shows how much the big market teams would make. What you just said mm-hmm. makes sense. I just think maybe it's everything combined. It, it also shows how they can afford to maybe pay in Aaron Rodgers and some of those other salaries. I, what right. I would like to see is what the net is for other teams. Because $77 million, like you said, it almost sounds unrealistic. It's a lot of money. But let's say they get another franchise-type player and they got to pay him $30 million next year that they were only paying $10 million. Let's say they kept Devontae Adams and they had to double his well, salary. They gave Aaron Rodgers a raise, Devontae Adams a raise. Suddenly that $77 million profit goes to 40 or $50 million. And I wonder, that, that's cutting well, it a little a salary close. salary cap. You're, you're always going to be, since you have a sal- salary cap, you're not going to be, it's not going to cost you 20 more million dollars. You have to keep your salaries under a certain amount. In, in it doesn't end, make sense. If well, you give somebody else a max contract, you got to take money away from somebody else. You can you can restructure That's, contracts. It's like the NBA, the salary cap might be a hundred and something million. Golden State's was like 240 million. Oh, I know. So That's you, you totally to pay, different though. For the totally different from the NFL and how the uh, NBA works. I mean, it's totally different, different, but I think you can go over the cap if you go through the loopholes and maybe pay a tax on it. Regardless, it's still with seventy-seven million. Again, I'm just wondering what other teams make of their profit because well, that starts look at it this way. Look this way. They, they're probably not going to have more ticket revenue, right? They're not going to have. Um, is it going to be more expensive? Take away New York, right? We'll talk. Let's talk about the Houston uh, Texans. Now, I don't know if anyone's going to their games, what their attendance is like. But it's a huge city. They're not going to charge more because things aren't as expensive in Houston. Bread is cheaper. Milk is cheaper. Gasoline is cheaper. Real estate, for crying out loud, what you can get in Houston would boggle your mind when you look at Hawaii and San Francisco. It's what your community can come up with, right? It's what your community will stand. You can't just... What I'm getting, the Dallas Cowboys, and I don't know how much this is, Dallas Cowboys, Green Bay Packers, Pittsburgh Steelers, with the teams with a national fan base, are they making more money off of things like, I don't know, uh, T-shirts and and, uh, things like that? And how much money do you make from memorabilia or um, 
clothing and, and that kind of thing. I, I'd be curious to know about that because you know the Green Bay Packers are making a ton from from uh, but he, you know that kind of stuff. I think what's even, the word I'm looking for? Gosh, even with these cities. Let's say they're all selling out, except for maybe Jacksonville and Atlanta, or close to a sellout. Well, they can also do it. They're raising the contracts of an Aaron Rodgers or others. They raise ticket prices. I mean, it happens basically every year. As soon as the season ends, I always see this usually on Twitter or Pro Football Talk, how much of a percent the New England Patriots or Kansas City Chiefs are raising ticket prices the next year. It's usually like 3 to 5%, maybe 8% in certain areas. But it seems like they just keep 8%? raising. 8%? That's a sell- lot. It, it, it doesn't sound like wow. a lot, but when you see the dollar amounts, it kind of adds no, up. No, yeah. it, no, 8% sounds like a lot. 5% sounds like a lot. You know, what What sports fans, the way they're getting around this nowadays is what people are doing, and because it's so convenient, is people are buying season tickets and then selling half of them. Or they're selling, if you're, uh, I know a couple of people in Hawaii who have season tickets to different professional sports, and they'll pick one or two games that they want to go to and sell the rest. And yeah. they do. And yeah. you make a big profit as well. So I think that's what uh, some fans have to um, do. And more and more people are figuring out, hey, you know what? Easy money. It depends what market is. I know people do that for the Raiders that live here. But I, see, it doesn't sound like a lot. If, you have, if, if you're charging $100 for a ticket, 5% more is $105. That doesn't sound like a big increase. But it all adds up. Mm-hmm. And if it's five hundred dollars yep. for a ticket, it's even less of an increase. But it, it seems like a lot of teams. If I don't want to say every, but the majority of teams in almost every sport, every year the ticket prices get raised. At least nowadays they do. And like you kind of said it the other day, it's kind of about pricing the fan. And that's like maybe major events, but even regular season games. And I know I'm talking big cities, big markets. I don't know, like, I've heard, like, the New Orleans Pelicans and the NBA have a really inexpensive ticket. But you go to Chicago, L.A., Golden State, uh, Houston, a lot of other places for basketball, and the ticket prices get really, really expensive. And I can understand why people, A, can't afford it, and the ones that can just choose not to go as much because it's just too expensive to go to two or three games. And you hear about what it costs a family of four. I mean, I don't know how people can Mm -hmm. afford it. Yep. All right. And speaking of money, we were uh, we've been mentioning this all morning long. The Live Golf League or Tour, we know they're expanding to 14 tournaments. This year they had eight tournaments with 255 million dollars in um, uh, total purses. And they're going to 14 tournaments with 405 million in total purses. So that's almost 29 million dollars per tournament. Can you imagine that? Now, that's, some goes to the team, uh, some goes to the individual players. There's a bunch of ways to get paid. But $29 million a tournament, that's, that's some, as, uh, you know, we're filling in on the Bobby Curran show, as Bobby Curran would like to say, that's some serious dough. <laughs> that's a lot of dough right there, almost $29 million. And, by the way, the, you keep hearing word that um, – Oh, gosh, he just won the uh, British Open. I can't think of his name with the mullet. Um, Cam Smith, Cameron Smith from Australia. Cameron Smith, word is, after these FedEx playoffs are done, he's going to the he's going to the live tour. Wow. I mean, now you're starting to go, okay, now you're starting to get, you know, some of the best. And it's interesting because there's like f- five guys on the live tour that were just in Hawaii for the Sony Open. You're talking about Kevin Nahn, Taylor Gooch, um, um, uh, if 
Cam Smith goes, and a couple other guys. We all we all saw here, and I still think the PGA. You know what? I think they can both. I really think they can both exist. I don't know why they wouldn't want to. You know, if they both exist, then then you know it's it's the PGA doesn't want that because I don't know. Does it? It's the Live Tours. Now, if you listen to Greg Norman, you can't believe a lot of things he says. But is the Live Tour just here to benefit the game of golf and spread the word on the game of golf and and uh, you know improve the game of golf and make doing it all for the the growing of the game, as they say? No. Or are they here to take over? If they're here to take over golf then you don't want them around. You can't coexist. I wish, and I don't know for a fact, but I wish that they were here like, hey, we just want to have a league too. Like the USFL, they just wanted to have a league too and play in the spring. The XFL, the Rock just wants to also have a league. The Rock isn't trying to take over the, the NFL. But the Live Tour, if they just want to exist to just have their own tour, it would be great if we could have both because I think there's 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 positive merits the both tours. The other leagues can't afford to give to the athletes that might jump to what the Live Tour is giving. I, I still think that, and, and I've read this, it wasn't really my opinion, but it does make some sense that as the Live Tour continues to draw some more talent from the PGA Tour, some of the top golfers, maybe not top 10, but some of the big names, that some of the sponsors on the PGA Tour aren't going to want to spend as much. Even, whether the ratings go down or not, without those top golfers there, and if they don't spend as much, that could put a dent on the PGA Tour. I wish they could coexist could as well. Yeah, could be. I mean, you could have a situation where the, the PGA – Fortunately, right now, a lot of the sponsors are rallying behind the PGA Tour. They're dumping Rocket Mortgage and all of these guys who have their own tournaments uh, under the PGA. They're rallying behind the PGA. They're increasing some of the purses. You know, not like the yeah, Live no. Tour is, but they're saying, hey, you know what? We're in it to win it. We're going to get – oh, that's the second time I said that today. If you ain't in it to win it, get the hell out. Marky Mark reference. Anyway, um, if these guys are increasing the purses – to help out these guys aren't going to be the ones that are saying well you're not worth it now in the future if more and more of the cameron smiths and the brook Kep brooks kepkas and the bryson DeChambos and the dustin johnson's go to the live tour then yeah your product isn't as good as it used to be so I so i think that um and especially when it comes to the majors that's why they want to kick them out, keep these guys out of the majors as well. Is hey, you know what? We don't, we, 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 we can't have these guys come and beat our players. When you have eight tournaments this year, expanding to fourteen next year, who's to say it doesn't expand even more the year after? I know that's way in the future, but I think it's also going to be co competition for some of these weeks when the PGA doesn't have a major. They're not going to go up against the majors or some of the top non-majors. But from eight to fourteen, they will be competing some weeks. Now we know for the most part, everybody in a PGA event is not going to be able to be on the live tour. It won't work out. So let's say Cam Smith just goes to the live tour, whether it's for next year or later on this year. That's one loss right there. But you it won't be this year. It won't be okay, this year. It'll okay. be next year. So you, lo you lose him for next year, and then also some of those names like a Cam Smith, the names you just mentioned, are going up against whether it's the Bridgestone, the 3M, or some of the other tournaments. I think it could take a little bit away of the attention. I think that's what the PGA is fearing, well, but partly for sponsorships. You know 
but what they're doing is the, the 3M, nobody, most people aren't watching that unless you're a hardcore golf addict. Okay. Tony Finau won, and I was very interested because I love Tony Finau. But most people, these are the, all the big players are taking that week off. That's why Greg Norman schedules these on those days. He's going against the weakest competition for eyeballs that week. Now, remember, too, these guys are going to get a TV deal. Right now, you can watch it on Facebook and YouTube. But the Live Tour is going to get a TV deal. And, well, in the immediate future, I don't see people, you know, dropping the PGA, especially while Tiger Woods and Rory McIlroy and some of these guys are around. But you're right. What happens when Rory when Rory's 40, right? And he's not winning tournaments. Who are you going to have? Is Colin Morikawa still going to be there, or is he going to go play for the Live Tour, or you know some of these more popular guys? Right now, all the guys that move the needle, they're on the Live Tour, and they're smart. That's who they went after. Guys like Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka and Phil Mickelson, the most interesting personalities in golf, except for Tiger Woods and Rory are playing for the live tour you've got great players on the pga tour scotty scheffler and patrick cantlay and i don't know some of these other guys but they're a little boring <laughs> i think okay. the live tour is doing it right <laughs> again just going from the eight tournaments they have now and you mentioned the tournaments are going up against or maybe some of the weaker ones if not the total weakest ones on the pga tour but are there 14 weeks of week tournaments for next year because then you're going up against some tournaments that might oh, be a no, little bit not. more prestigious right but if you've got a television contract and the most interesting golfers, you're going, if, 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 do I want to watch Bryson DeChambeau and Brooks Kepka in a playoff? Or do I want to watch uh, Mr. Personality, Patrick Cantlay, who might get a smile when he's done for the end of the day? Oh, I got Patrick Cantlay and Shane Lowry going at it. Come on. There's no competition for eyeballs right then and there, especially if they're on TV. I, I wonder how, if that'll be the case Again, you would think they're not done adding to their roster, even though it's going to be 48 a week, and they're probably about 55 or a little bit more now on their roster. And if they continue to expand, getting a TV contract, I, I mean, if you follow a certain golfer, you might want to watch the live. So, let's, again, I'll use Cam Smith as an example. I'm not sure how popular he is. I know he's not as popular as the names you just mentioned. But if he does go, you have some people that might want to watch him. I think little by little it could put a dent in them. Look, Cameron Smith is – Cameron Smith is – very popular he's one of okay. the more popular golfers in the world he can't he wants to cut his mullet he doesn't like it but he can't his mullet is too valuable <laughs> his girlfriend hates his mullet they might be married now nobody likes his mullet but he can't cut it it's too much value that's how popular cameron smith is you would probably know, Again, you know needle movers you're going to know this better than me how many of course i will how many tournaments <laughs> a year do you think most let's say a rory mcelroy jordan oh, speed I, I don't know I'd is it 30 is I, it 40 i don't know i don't know i'd have to look it up they don't play them all rory, people like rory who's from ireland he's not playing in the centuries uh the kind on maui he's not coming to the sony open okay. he'll but he'll play on the dp world tour he plays a lot of dates, and, and, and Shane Lowry and these other guys, they play a lot of European dates. So how many PGA dates do they play? I couldn't tell you. I could find it out. And maybe somebody knows, 
at 808-296-1420. The reason I ask, because we heard a lot of golfers indicate, and we, you've mentioned it numerous times, that one of the things about the Live Tour they like, it's three days and it's only eight tournaments a year. Now you go into 14, I wonder if that's going to maybe make some golfers think twice, and if they expand even more the year after, I wonder if that's going to be a difference maker. If some, some golfers, what do you mean, if it goes to 14, it's making the 14, golfers think twice? Yeah, because the, we've heard golfers say, and you've mentioned it a whole bunch of times, how they like no, no, that no, it's no, only no. eight they, tournaments these a year. Guys are, these guys are signing multi-year deals. Most of the, the big players, okay. they don't have one-year deals. So they know in the agreement how many they're going to play coming up. For Phil next Mickelson year, they already know. Yes, they know that already. We've known from the beginning that there's going to be 14 tournaments next year. From the very beginning, we already knew that. What I was found interesting is that the purses go up to $400 okay. million, $29 million almost per uh, game. Hey, we got to get a traffic update here, and uh, we'll come back with your text at 808-296-1420. The Zephyr Insurance text line is open for business. It's the Sports Animals on the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. The Bobby Curran Show is brought to you by PVT Land Company, supporting academics, athletics, and the community on the Waianae Coast. Man, we got to get down to University of Hawaii football practice. First day of practice is today they're going to go uh, the first session is pow for now and then uh coming i guess around now they're having special team sessions and then you've got the uh the second stringers and i'd hate to say fourth stringers but the second stringers and we'll, we'll call it the fours since uh is that's going to go from 8 50 this morning to 10 15 uh today now saturday's practice is very cool uh 5 45 to 7 20 p.m and the second session goes from 7.50 to 9.15 p.m. So a lot of people do stuff during the day. You know, you got your kids in whatever commitments. And you can go check out uh, University of Hawaii football practice at night. I, I like that. I like it. Just get some food trucks over there while we're at it. Come on. <laughs> All right. Let's, uh, uh, you know, speaking of UH football, have we heard anything in the preseason Leading up to this, Jacob Yoro is the defensive um, coordinator. And did he say anything about the style of defense? Jump in here, Tanner, if you know, because I don't think Gary's going to remember. If, if anything. <laughs> what type of defense we have. If anything, in the media guide, it listed uh, Yoro running a 4-2-5 system, which is a four okay. down linemen, two linebacker, five cornerbacks which mm -hmm. is something to be expected uh, to run five yeah. corners because I think that's something similar that uh, Todd Graham did right. uh, in the last couple of years where that fifth cornerback is seen as that, like, sub-linebacker where right. he's, like, so a safety like a coming safety. down. Right, right. So, and okay. we have a lot of good, like, coverage linebackers with Penny Pavihi, Isaiah Tufanga. Uh, Blessman Ta'ala is probably a for-sure on the four-down guys. Sure. Um. I saw Wyndon Ho'ohuli, the Nebraska mm -hmm. transfer. He's listed as a defensive lineman. So he's going to be listed and is probably one of the starting edge rushers, I would Ooh, think, alongside okay. the okay. Arkansas transfer, Matteo Soli. I like it. Uh huh. But that's what I'm guessing off. I have obviously haven't been to practice because I'm here. Um, just looking at the experience and the breakdown 
of the fall camp rosters that are out now officially on the Hawaii Athletics website. That's what I can break down over this next month. Of course, we're going to get some more finite answers on who exactly we're going to see starting, probably. Okay. But I'm wondering what I'm looking for. Did he say that we're going to have an attacking-style defense? I think they're trying to keep that hidden for August 27th. (laughs) But isn't every defense, isn't your defense supposed to be an attacking-style defense? And we talk about coach speak that you never hear. I'd love to have a defensive coordinator come out and say, well, what kind of defense are you going to run there, coach? Well, what we're going to do is we're going to have a reactive defense. So (laughs) we're going to wait to see what they do. And then chase them down from behind. Huh? That's the plan. No blitzing. N- nothing. We're going to wait to see what they do and then run after them. That, it seems like for many years, that's been the Hawaii defense. Jacob Yoro is an underrated, from what I hear and read and talk to people, he's an underrated football coach. He should be getting a lot more credit, they say, for his defensive mind. So I'm excited to see what we have. Like you just mentioned, Ho'ohuli listed as a defensive lineman, meaning edge rusher. Because really, that's what I was talking to some uh, the security guards downstairs from the Paxis Studios. I was talking to them the other day, and they say, you know, what do you think? And I said, you know what? If we and I think we all say this, we can get a get a pass rush. When's the last time we had a pass rush? I think Bob Wagner was the coach. Seriously, once in a while you get, hey, Kennedy, Tuli, Sayamali'i, and, you know, some of these good guys. Eh, you had, um, gosh, I can't Travis remember his LeBoy. name, from, from Mililani just a couple of years ago. But it wasn't enough. It Paredes. wasn't enough. When you had, you know, your Dana Directo, and I'm going way back, your Dana Directos and your Nongas and, and, and guys like that. We, we, we need, we just need more. We, you know, we seem to get on the cut. Blessman to all is fine. He's not going to rack up the sacks. He's an interior lineman who's going to plug up the hole. That's his job. But some of these other guys, and even the guys who left to go to, you know, transfer it out, they were good, but we can't say that they're amongst, you know, some of the pass rushers we've seen in the past from the University of Hawaii. It's not going to be, you know, it's – you mentioned Travis LeBoy. That's one of them. Again, we don't, we haven't seen one of these guys lately. And maybe if you have the correct scheme and you put these guys in a great position, and I'm sure everyone's trying to do that, right, as a defensive coach, I think it'll make a difference. So that's something I'm going to be looking for when we head up to practice this year. Yeah, I mean, we don't have Darius Muisau, and I believe Corey Bethley, those two guys are at the top of the sack list for last year, I believe. You don't have them, but it would be nice to have somebody who can really pile that up, game in, game out, and be that kind of edge rusher. It has been a while since we've had somebody who leads there. Yeah. I mean, Muisau wasn't an edge rusher. He was more of a linebacker. And but he would get the Bethley, quarterback. But he, was, he wasn't an edge rusher is what I'm talking. I'm talking about defensive linemen. Uh, Corey Bethley was used in, you know, he was a Swiss Army knife. You could use him a whole bunch of ways. Also, with so many new players on defense, I think that's going to, I will say, I think it's going to be the bigger concern. Even though we we have new coaches, we're going to have pretty much a new quarterback. If Shaker starts, still very limited experience. But on defense, you lost so much from last year. I mean, Pavihi's the mainstay there. Ta'ala's there as well. But it's going to be a lot of new starters, especially in the secondary. Uh, Hopefully they'll be ready. And I think Vanderbilt's the right opponent for week one. 
and we just got to be patient. That's it. All right, let's. Uh, we promised. Uh, oh, you know what? We'll go get your text coming up next. Uh, Coach Gannat is going to join us here on ESPN Honolulu, where we've got something uh, special happening. We've come up with this event, and we're going to do it every month. We're calling it the Really Big Road Show. It's at Growler Hawaii in Kapahulu, right there next to by the Alawai Golf Course. So the, everybody's going to be there. Kanoa Leahy, Josh Pacheco, myself. Uh, Gary's on vacation, but Charlie Wade's going to be down there with us. Scotty Scott, Coach Bud Nagamine. Uh, we got members of the 92 Rainbow Warrior football team who we're going to salute there and a lot more. It's all, once again, we'll all be live on location doing a radio show, the really big show at Growler Hawaii in Kapahulu. Now, this is going to be, we want to invite you to join us at 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. Tuesday, August 9th. And by the way, they've got 94 beers and seltzers on tap. 94. Wow. On tap. 94 to choose from. Your Pilsners and your Ales and your Sour, this fruit beers, they got everything. So we'll see it. The really big show. Join us, won't you? We'll have lots of prizes to give away, too. From ESPN Honolulu. Follow us on Twitter at Bobby Curran Show. This is ESPN Honolulu and the Sideline Hawaii app. We talked earlier about the Diamond Head brackets coming out yesterday. We're going to talk about that and a little bit more with the the head coach for the University of Hawaii men's basketball team joining us on ESPN Honolulu. Aran Gannat with us. Aran, thanks again. And yesterday we talked about the brackets. We see it official. What were your thoughts when you saw about your team playing Pepperdine and the other matchups in the Diamond Head? Oh, anytime you hear the bracket announced, you know the season's around the corner. So first it's the excitement about that. But, you know, the Diamond Head's a great event, uh, one of the great tournaments in the country, competitive fields. Um, obviously Pepperdine has been a good program for a long time, you know, talking to knowing the league very well, talking to people in the league, they had a really young team and all those guys are back. So just excited about, you know, the challenge who we're opening up with and, and the entire bracket. And, and, and obviously again, the season being around the corner. I believe it's 103 days before the regular season starts for college basketball. I've seen that countdown. And, you know, some of the other schools coming in for that tournament, you know, they've been NCAA teams over the last three, four, five years, including Utah State, SMU, and even Iona with Rick Pitino coming back. Yeah, and and Washington State obviously was in the, I believe, NIT Final Four. And and a lot of the teams and a lot of the coaches, we've been on the road for the last couple months, so we all know who's been in the field. We didn't know the bracket yet, uh, but everybody's been, you know, as always with the Diamond Head, ESPN does such a great job and it's such a great venue during such a great time. But it's always been competitive. It'll continue to be competitive, and, and that's kind of what you want going into league play. I want to pass along a question. A listener just texted us a few minutes mm-hmm. ago. They were just wondering if there's an update on the status of Juan Munoz with the injury he had last year missing the season. Is he able to scrimmage with everybody? Is he healthy right now? He's doing great. I mean, I said some some moots on Juan. You know, unfortunately, we didn't have him last year. The good thing is we'll have him this year. And the young guys were thrown in the fire in their absence. But, uh, you know, at the end of October, they both had successful surgeries, Moots on the back, um, Juan on the ACL. And, you know, uh is pretty much 100. He's a little ahead because of the length of recovery. But, you know, Juan's going according to plan, maybe slightly ahead of plan. He's been in full-going workouts other than some contact. He'll be – 
Uh, it's supposed to be clear for a lot of that at the end of August. And so, but you know, it's a good time where we can be overly smart about it, but he looks great. Luca looks great. They're on top of everything they can do to the best of their ability and they're moving according to plan. So it's just awesome to see him out there. I know it's definitely too soon to tell for sure, but and you've done this in the past. You've played and probably started two point guards at the same time. But if Munoz, Munoz is healthy enough and maybe can get that starting spot, would you maybe start he, he and Noel Coleman both in the backcourt? Yeah, that's what's great. Right now we have really good competition for spots. I think uh, playing multiple guys that can make decisions, whether it's point guard play, as you know, we've played through our foreman at times. Kamaka has a great decision making at the four spot and the experience. So, you know, we've had like two guys go down each of the last four years, which is crazy to say, but at times it's impacted our ability to play two guards. I remember Ahmed Ali went out and then obviously last year Juan Munoz. And so, um, we have a lot of guys, and, and Noel obviously has become a scorer, but he's still got some of that in him as well. So, you know, that, the ability to play two and sometimes three guys even together, depending on if we have the size to do that, uh, that's still kind of the direction we'd like to be in if we stay healthy. Hawaii basketball coach Haran Ganat joining us here on ESPN Honolulu. The, other, the texter also wants to know if there are any late signees possibly able to sign as a grad transfer. Do you have any scholarships left at this time? Yeah, I mean, we still uh, have a short list of a couple guys, and there's a chance we bring in someone before school starts on August 22nd for sure. I know you, you mentioned school starts later on in August, and I know seeing the videos and the pictures, the camps have been very successful. You've got another camp coming up, I believe, next week. Can you tell our listeners a little bit about that? No, just having camps has been great. You know, we, we hit some record-breaking numbers before COVID. We haven't been able to have camps for the last couple of years and then brought it back uh, this summer. The first two have been awesome. Um, you know, our first or second year here, we brought in this August camp, which has been one of our most successful ones. So August 2nd to 5th, it's a great time. You'll learn a lot. You'll get better during the camp. You'll have some things you can take home with you. Um, our staff will be around. In this case, you know, we've always had our guys around, but all our guys will actually be around uh, because they're here, obviously, just finishing up right now week five of summer workouts. So like I said, great time, meet new friends, great relationships, and, and, and obviously getting back to the trend of having these camps every year. We added a team camp this year. I think we might add another camp in the future, but we had to get these back and going again. It's been awesome. Uh, again, August 2nd to 5th, call the basketball office, Dominic Drury, 808-956-6501. You can visit us at the website. Uh, but we're looking to finish up the camp season with the bang and uh, we're, like I said, it's been it's been fun and, and looking forward to this last one. All the information on the website, and you heard the phone number and the website if you want to register for the camp. What, what is some of the interaction like between some of these youngsters and the players? What have you noticed about some of the things they talk about and what these kids have learned? Oh, they got great questions. We have so many different age groups. Um, you know, just having them around each other, the kids, having them around our staff, having them around the guys. Um, as you know, we have such a great community here. We have great kids here. And, and one of the great things is, you know, for us, continuity, being here for a bit, you know, to see these guys, uh, these kids, you know, boys and girls, see them grow, get better over the years. You know, that's what's tough with, you know, you get to see that every year. But then we hadn't had camps for a couple of years. And you know, some of these people, some of these kids, if we hadn't been able to see them at games, we hadn't seen them in two or three years. So just rekindling those relationships and, and getting back into the trend because these kids do develop bonds, whether it's with our staff, our, our, our players, or even with each other over the years. So 
I'm just really pumped. I can't say it. obviously you can hear it, but how excited I am to have the camps going again and, and, and building it back for the future. Back to normalcy, hopefully. Well, one more question I was going to wonder what your thoughts are. We talk about football so much with conference realignment. What are your thoughts on what you've seen lately? It's been it's been uh, interesting several years, obviously, in terms of the changes that have happened in the landscape of Division One athletics. I mean, I could have a long-winded answer to that because we've kind of made this full transformation of professional sports. You're seeing realignment. Um, and again, obviously, everybody recovered from some of this COVID stretch as well. So at the end of the day, it, it, you're kind of sitting there studying it. Um, and then navigate. at the end of the day, you have to navigate all of us. We have to navigate how to or figure out how to navigate through this period with what's best for where you're at. And so there's a great challenge to it. Um, there's still a lot of changes going on, whether it's realignment, new rules, um, but I'm looking forward to the challenge. I think we have a, we'll figure out how it can all work and work well for us here in Hawaii. Looking forward to the season starting not that far away. And again, the camps, August 2nd through August 5th, all of the information at hawaiiathletics.com. Aran, thanks for spending a few minutes with us. We hope to keep in touch. As always, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. All right, thank you. Aran Gannat joining us here on ESPN Honolulu. One more edition of the summer camps next week at University of Hawaii. Yeah, so when you go to hawaiiathletics.com, just click on the camps button and all the different sports camps will show up there. All right, as promised, uh, we'll go to the text line, the Zephyr Insurance text line. That's coming up next here on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. This is the Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. And the Sideline Hawaii app. Ten minutes in front of uh, 9 o'clock. You can catch uh, Let's Talk Sports with Kanoa Leahy and his special guest, Amber IGD, today at 12 noon. And uh, Josh Pacheco on the radio at 3 o'clock this afternoon. Baseball fans, over on CBS 1500, it's the San Francisco Giants taking on the Arizona Diamondbacks, uh, followed immediately by the Subway Series of Yankees and Mets. All the action starting in 25 minutes here. And that's on our sister station, CBS Sports 1500. All right, let's go to the text line at 808-296-1420 from Zephyr Insurance. And let's see, we've got uh, some texts here. I don't know if this is the latest, but we were talking about the uh, PGA and the Live Tour a little while ago. And it says the PGA talks about growing the game slash best for the game. How about making Tiger, Rory, Phil, etc., play the Sony? Is the purse too small? Course too easy? Ah, PGA can dish it out, but they can't take it. It says the, uh, goes on to say, these guys avoid the Sony like the plague. They can't have a scheduling conflict every year. Rory McIlroy has come out and actually said it's just too far. He doesn't want to fly from Ireland to Hawaii. And is the purse small? It's one of I don't believe it's one of the bigger purses, um, but you still got some quality guys playing in this tournament. You're not going to, you know, Tiger. You know, has Tiger ever played in the Sony? I don't think so. No, I watched Jordan Spieth there the time I went. That was pretty cool. Yeah, and you've had you've had some time. This is this past. You know, I'll, I'll go down the list. I don't have it in front of me, but I'll go down the list of some top golfers. Again, it's it's not one of the bigger. Uh, tours, and I think 
it's not just the purse. I think it's the travel distance. Like a lot of these guys will go play the century on Maui because that's all former winners, I guess. But a lot right. of them, they won't. Rory doesn't even play in that. And you have to you have to win a tournament the previous year in order to play in the century at the tournament. He hasn't won in a while, though. <laughs> no, he Rory won last year, and he didn't show up this year. Well, he hasn't uh, won a major who, in, since eight, eight years. No, we're not talking about majors. Yeah. I'm talking about wins. Uh, otherwise, you have a tournament with four guys. Come on. Anyway, so the uh, so Rory doesn't come because it's just too far. The PGA can't force these guys, though, anyway. That's not no, up to the can't. PGA. No, they can't. Uh, let's see. Somebody wanted to know about a question you did ask Aran Ganat. So there you go. Um, at 7.30. Who do we have on the – oh, it's 7.30. Uh, I guess he's uh, referring to Arnold Martinez. Yes, yes. Have no clue what this guy is talking about. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand. He didn't. Arnold was too uh, detailed, maybe, or too. Maybe. Uh, maybe too. Uh, anyway. Um, here's one uh, positive one talking about UH football. We're going to get smashed, LOL. We're going to get smashed. Uh, nah. I don't get it. Um, <laughs> hey, you know what? It's, it's, it, we're rebuilding. We're rebuilding everything. Here's a text now that says, uh, hey, sports animals, if you could go back in time, what sporting event would you like to be at? For the texter, he says, the 1980 Winter Olympics, watching USA beating Russia in the semis. What sporting event would you like to go back in time and be at, Gary? I have two answers. One, April 1st, 2002. Wow, 20 years. Maryland winning the NCAA championship in Atlanta, but I was there. But I would love to relive the happiest sports night of my life, bar none. And the other one, as far as a game or event I've never been to, 1969 or 86 World Series wins for the New York Mets. Those were special, and I only got to watch them on TV. Mm-hmm. What about you? I don't know. Steelers, I mean, Super Bowl? I don't know. Uh, gosh. i got to think about that. That's a good topic for tomorrow. Tanner, do you have a sporting event that you would like to go back to in time? Say you're in the hot tub time machine. <laughs> and I'm I guess the only updated. one I can think of, because it's the most immediate one, I could go back a year and watch the Michigan State-Michigan game all over again. That was an awesome game. Okay. I know it's not so far back into my past, but also at the same time, I've I've only I was born in 1999, don't so I don't really past. got much to uh, go back to. <laughs> no, but you could go back to. It's not while you're. Oh, alive. okay. Well, I was you also know? a fan of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, so I don't have a lot of history to go off of either. Maybe the 2002 Super Bowl with John Gruden. I'm sure that would have been fun to watch the Raiders get absolutely blown out of the water with that amazing <laughs> defense. That's always fun. I'd like to go back to the original Olympic Games with Rome and Greece. Wow. Yeah, that would be, you know, you just, you know, wearing a little skirt. Yeah, <laughs> I bet the mission was free. <laughs> but don't look at somebody the wrong way. They'll throw you in a den of lions or something. Yeah. Okay. Da, 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 da. Oh, here's Hank uh, texted in. He would like to go to the 86 Masters. You know why? That's uh, That was uh, the one that uh, Jack Nicholas got. Right. 86 Masters. All right. Uh, let's see. We um, did get a text. Jody Lilly of UH Hilo was also nominated. 
So what I was talking about was that um, from the, the Big West, Brooke Van Sickle was one of the nominees, or the uh, 151 nominees from Division One, Two, II, and Three for Woman of the Year, NCAA Woman of the Year. And so now we say congratulations. Thanks for the text. We didn't get anything from Hilo on that, but we're certainly happy to share it. Jody Lilly, UH Hilo, also nominated. So good luck to her. All right. This is ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Remember, you got Kanoa Leahy coming up at 12 noon with uh, Amber Igidi, And then we've got Josh Pacheco at 3 o'clock. Uh, all your baseball action happening here for um, happening here on ESPN Honolulu. Sorry, a little distracted. Coming up next, you'll probably hear breaking news about uh, Brittany Griner. U.S. is offering to, uh, what did I just see, Gary? Tanner, we might have to go on a second here. Sorry, this is going to screw you up. This is breaking news about Brittany Griner. They're offering a trade for her her and another jailed American to the Russian prisoner who was here in prison. So, All right, you'll hear more on that coming up on ESPN Honolulu.